0: Hello and welcome to Kefefe Break on Unsafe Space. Today is Friday, May 14th. I am one of your hosts, Carrie Smith, and I am joined by Carter Laren, who this was almost a question because Carter's internet was out because he's in the Republic of California. And so yeah. he it literally was fixed uh, 1 minute ago. And you know before you got here, Carter, I just have to tell you because we have two special guests today. And I told them, yep. since you were gone, we were going to have the Golden Girls hour.
1: <laughs>
0: so welcome to the Golden Girls Your plans Girls are show.
1: foiled, Carrie. No. <laughs>
0: no, no, you showed up just in time. You're our fourth. Uh, you can be Sophia. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Okay. No. Which one, Sophia? Is she the cool one? I thought yeah, I was Dorothy.
0: Was... Well, that Josh Slocum is here today. And I'm sorry, but he's, uh, there he Dorothy? is. He's going no, to have okay. to claim that role. <laughs> Hello, Josh.
1: Hi. Hi, Carter. Well, Josh, I already don't like you.
2: <laughs> good. Slam. Well, he is a good door. <laughs> he so would gotta, do. All right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Excellent.
3: Excellent. And then Welcome. join
0: us today. We also <laughs> have Lou Perez.
3: Hey, I'll be Hello. Blanche. I guess I'm Blanche, right? You'll be
2: the Blanche.
0: All right. We so got it.
3: Blanche, you guys yeah. got to help me. Blanche, I'm, I'm is, the, uh, Blanche the one- is the
2: one who has the word slut embroidered on her
3: underwear. Yeah. Oh, that's definitely (laughs) you. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be coming on to all of you and saying like, very like old innuendos that died out in the '80s. You know, to try to, you know, so, (laughs) honey, I'll be on you like Gorbachev's birthmark. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: (laughs) excellent. I'm gonna
3: try that one. So.
0: So for Super anyone boring. who's new to the show, we uh, you can find us at unsayspace.com Once we're banned on all platforms, we'll still be there. And Lou Perez is a hilarious comedian. You can find him. What is your YouTube channel, Lou? It's your name.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Lou Perez. So it, I think it's youtube.com slash C slash the Lou Perez.
0: the lou perez and then you guys are meeting for the first time josh Slocum is the host of the disaffected podcast and you guys can find that on youtube and everywhere else that you find podcasts for now for now um very happy for you guys to meet each other
2: yeah thanks for having (laughs) me guys
1: so josh you uh you talk all about cluster B stuff. And, and I guess you psychoanalyze people. I'm not totally sure, but tell us what's wrong with comedians.
3: Since um, we have Lou here. <laughs> yeah. What? This is an intervention. Is that what Lou? <laughs> yeah. well, I,
2: I don't know that I think there's anything particularly wrong with comedians. Um, uh, I think we need them because I don't think that people are laughing enough lately. I think they are taking things way, way too seriously And I mean, you guys have talked about this on the show that, you know, the fact that you can, you know, you can draw a relationship between um, how society deals with humor and where they're going politically. I mean, it is dangerous to be funny today. And and that itself, to me, at least, is an indication of a little bit of danger. Yeah, because
1: humor connects uh, with your authentic self in some way. There's not, it bypasses the filter that the sensors can have you. You can self-center, you can learn to to self-censor, but humor can sometimes just subvert that and get the reaction out of you. Uh, and that's pretty dangerous to people who are trying to control a population. So,
0: Can I plug something just really quickly since we're talking about comedy? Yesterday I got to meet Chrissy Meyer, who does the In Hot Water show on compound media and they're on a tour all the compound media comedians so they're in austin tonight and i think there are still tickets available if you guys want to see them at 8 p.m it's chrissy it's um like anthony cuomo the hot tub guys oh uh, anthony cumia. cumia cumia i'm sorry i was just did, my... did
1: you say anthony cuomo is there
0: a cuomo i did comedian? say cuomo cumia <laughs> cumia is that it it's, it's yeah.
3: basically if you're from new york yeah, there are two last names. It's Cuomo and Kumia. So you're either one or the other. So okay. you know, there's not much variation.
0: <laughs> Thank you for the correction. Uh, I would be very embarrassed if I said that to him tonight. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the show, the show's tonight in Austin, and they're on a whole tour. And that got me really excited because I saw that um, a lot of comedians are going back on the road finally. And, and Josh Denny, who we have on the show sometimes, he's doing stand-up again. So I think it's coming back. I think it remains to be seen if you can make, uh, actually, if you can actually make jokes, or if you have to censor yourself <laughs> to the point of not entertaining the audience. I, but at I least they're a, on the road.
3: I, I did a I did a road gig uh, April thirtieth, um, just at the end of last month, and uh, it was it was one of the f- one of the few times that I've actually performed live in over a year, and it was wild because it was up in New Hampshire, and I brought up two other uh, stand up comedians, uh, Boris Hyken and and Harry Turjanian, longtime friends and really hilarious guys. And we performed for about, you know, 60 or so uh, free staters, uh, libertarians, and nobody was wearing a mask. And it was like, wow, we had to drive, you know, like, say, like, five and a half hours to feel normal, you know, to be in a room and to make a crowd, you know, laugh, and it felt like, oh, my God, Comedy's back It felt uh it, it, it was it, it was strange to feel normal it was very strange to feel normal and that's kind of i think where where we where a lot of us are right now
2: i i, I don't i yeah. i you know this is the first time i'm meeting you lou so i'm not familiar with your material i don't know what you do in your sets but uh did you have any did you have any nervousness about the kinds of jokes that you thought you'd be able to tell or
3: not No, no, no. I didn't I didn't feel nervous about that. I I think I all the nerves that I had came from just ring rust, you know, just like not having been performing as much as I would have liked to. Um, But even uh, when when we were up there, uh, a, a dad brought his 13 year old son. So I was performing basically the same adult set that I would do in front of a. Whole room of adults, except now I had a thirteen-year-old kid in the front in the front row, and then there was also a woman who was nine months pregnant. So it was sort of the, it was sort of like ready to be born kid, way too young to be at this show, uh, and and adults. But it was it was a lot of fun because you got to use that. Uh, you know, I got to use that and, and, and comment on it, and it really brought back just uh, how much fun live entertainment is because you're in the moment and you're using whatever's in the room. You're using whoever's there, you know, to comment on it, uh, rather than, you know, I mean, it would be, you know, this is fantastic that the four of us get to communicate, but it would be a totally different energy if we were all in the same room. Yes. You know, for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, you were performing for free staters though. So there shouldn't really be any fear about saying the wrong thing, right? Well, well
3: not... the only thing is that, that uh, the only thing you have to be fearful of is that they're, they're all armed. You know, it's an open carry state. So I yeah. there's nothing to so, be afraid about there. Yeah, it's good. So my uh, well, well, one of my uh, one of the comedians who came up, my friend Boris, um, he had a great experience after the show. He's like, yeah, after the show, a libertarian with a gun strapped to his leg gave me crypto. And it was like, yeah. wow. that's what it's all about. So like, and sure. What's that? Is that like the clap? <laughs> The, yeah, the, the the crypto is like the super uh, super the secret. Yeah. Oh man, you got that crypto. How long how long is it gonna take you to get rid of the quip uh, the crypto? Sorry, uh, I was
2: watching something about um venereal diseases in Tudor times last night, so I had to go there. My, of course
4: you were.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but uh so so Boris had put had put out, you know, that you know, that little anecdote and uh a, a number of people responded to him like, Oh my god, like yikes. And he's like, no, it was it was actually a great experience. And uh, we were you know paid to be there where it's really funny where you have, like, say, people on the left who might not be used to that kind of environment where you have people open carrying, um, but yet they're used to doing like shows where nobody gets paid. Um, but then here's a show where you have you know, people on you know, the wrong side of the aisle who are going to be who are going to take care. Of the performers, and you know, treat them with uh, with respect and and professionalism. Yeah. Well, I. Hey, that's what you
1: get with the Libertarian Committee. I, I don't. Uh, I think you're probably in the safest place in New Hampshire at that moment, Lou. Oh, sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. Can, I was, this leads this leads into something I wanted to talk about today, and this is, this is fresh in my mind. And so I don't know. My thoughts aren't fully formed about it yet. But did you guys see Biden's tweets yesterday about you basically have two choices. You can either get vaccinated or you can keep wearing a mask. And he said, all people, if you've been vaccinated, you no longer have to wear the mask. And I have a lot of thoughts about this, but one of them is uh, I've noticed that a lot of, there's a lot of posts by people who are saying they're going to keep wearing their mask because they don't want to be mistaken for a conservative or for a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would laugh at that Carter. And what's That's really awesome. <laughs> what's really funny about that is it's like, first of all, if you've if believed, I think, if you believed that mask mandate, the opinion on mask mandates was correlated to political party, then you're not very bright in the first place because it's not, it's not a question of left, right. Organically, it's not. I know the media made it that way, but it was about authoritarianism and, and individualism. And then secondly, if you conform, if your opinion conforms based on that false belief, well, then you're a follower. You're like a walking ash conformity experiment that people can easily manipulate you. They just need to get you to believe that your party is in favor of something and the other party isn't. And then third, there's just something really funny about the idea of people who are like, backing themselves into a corner and restricting their breathing because they want to uh, signal the right mark tribal marker. It's, it's, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about it, but yeah. It's like for,
3: for a year, you know, you had your team's costume, you know, you had your tribal wear. It's sort of like, here's your, here's your tribal tattoo. And now there's a lot of worry and a lot of panic because they're saying, Oh, you don't have to wear that. That, tri- that, that tribal mask anymore. You could, you could take it off. And people are really worried because it's like, oh, I don't want to be confused with a you know conservative or, or blah, blah, blah. But I saw one guy who's like, you know what? You know what? I'm going to keep wearing my mask because I know it's going to piss off Trumpers. And it's like, wow, man. So let me get this. straight. <laughs> so, so right now I'm in New Jersey and it's a beautiful spring day. It's gorgeous outside. And there's a man out there who's going to be in a park alone, right, on this beautiful day, and he's going to wear a mask just cause it's going to piss off some version of a Trump supporter that's that's living in his head. And it's like and he's man. a
2: good person living a winning life
3: and sane, and he's perfectly sane. You know,
0: it's like I'm owning the conservatives. I'm owning them with your mask. Right. On a beautiful day, you you know what conservatives really well.
1: don't like. they really don't like uh when you wear hair shirts and whip yourself that's that'll really piss them off so try yeah them. they don't
3: like you suffering, yeah, they don't like the yeah, suffering they hate they hate when to yeah. see
1: yeah, yeah, so you get' them. <laughs> I didn't see Biden's sweets because I had no internet, but i i so I reverted to old school i have I have paper
0: oh, like an old gosh. man what does that say?
1: I did read the cDC mask thing, so apparently you can do. You can just not use your mask at all if you're vaccinated, but of course they have no way of knowing you're vaccinated. So are we done now? Is this are we done? Yeah. Oh, no. the- yeah
2: what I, I spend too much time on Twitter. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so everyone who's on Twitter can say that. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> but the what what has so exercised me through throughout this pandemic. Has been the degree to which people are they are living their lives in a way that they are asking permission to do things as if they were children in a parent-child relationship with the presidential administration of the centers for disease control or or anthony fauci or whoever it is i mean maybe i didn't notice this before but this this real, I mean, it gets my stomach in a knot. It really, it gives me anxiety, but it also irritates me, because people keep saying, "When can we do this? When can we do this?" That's the kind of thing that a little child says to their parent, right? You know, he gets to I, clash mountain. I don't get yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> I don't care. Um, I don't care what Joe Biden says. I don't care what the CDC says. I wish I did care about what the CDC said, because if I cared, that would be an indication that I thought that they were giving out factual, objective, Mm -hmm. rational information that had been through filters, you know, uh, to make it as reasonable as possible. But, you know, like Carrie, you were saying with a Biden tweet, you know, the choice is simple wear your, um, wear your mask or get vaccinated. That's the rule. Uh, Excuse me. I mean, it's bad enough that, that, that Biden or the CDC takes this authoritarian tone, but liberals, and I'm, I'm a former liberal myself. They are happily participating in this. They are very happy to take the child. Yes. role. They're like, thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. And I'm just like, are any of you people freaking adults? No. no. Can I ask you a question? To So the, I'm
1: super glad you brought this up because, um, there's like a couple threads we could pull on this that I think are super interesting. One is um, I I think we've been edging towards just generally in society based on our parenting, frankly, edging towards – and how we treat kids generally. But we've been edging towards this this – we've been raising kids to be – to accept authoritarianism for a long time. And it seems to be getting worse and worse. And we've now hit this flipping point or this tipping point where a lot of people notice that like, wow, you can really ask anything of adults and they act like kids. But this has kind of been going on for a while. And I, I don't know if you have any, I, I don't know if you're a parent or not, but I just, a one thing that bothers me is the, the way that we pretend to care about kids um, and pretend to respect kids, but also we we tend to be pretty authoritarian with children and say and because i said so is an answer and um and actually that has bled into the classroom and so teachers will be like will say like because that's the way it is and that's kind of the end of the answer and i don't know how i don't know how anyone ever grows up if they're if that's always the environment that they're around where there's always some authority figure saying because that's why because that's because i said so because the school says so because that's the way it is it seems kind of inevitable that you graduate and become an adult and look for the next person to tell you what's the way it is because I've always been just told, no one told me I had to figure out the way it was. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm being articulate. Yep. Have you have you looked at childhood psychology at all or how parents are raising kids or
2: any of that? Not in any great detail. I mean, I, you know, you guys know i mean my show uh that that started a few months ago um talks about politics and culture and 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 family and and development through the um you know through the lens of cluster b personality disorders abuse dynamics um and you know cluster b is not in the way i see it a lot a lot of the um the behaviors and the thought distortions that are very obvious and prevalent in people who have these disorders are also things they're they're not just in the people who have these disorders right they they spill out into uh, cults cults are an example of running on cluster b rules they're not you know people are always like gosh this seems suspiciously like a cult it's because it's not that it's like it it is that it is that right that is the dynamic that uh that is going on underneath that I, you know, I don't have any special expertise, I'm, I'm not a parent, I don't have kids, but I, I talk about this with my therapist and Carter, he says the same thing that you do. He thinks that parenting, at least over the past three to four decades, uh, but, but more acutely in the past two decades, is largely responsible for um, you know, why we are where we are. And I think the hallmark of our age for adults is emotional immaturity. Um, you know, we treat, we treat 30 almost and 35 year olds as adolescents. I mean, you know, people think it's normal to be between 30 and 40 and, and to be having meltdowns on social media about people who don't belong to your Harry Potter fan club. Right. And that sounds funny, but I'm not actually making yeah. it funny.
3: I'm I serious. No, I, I, right? it's still funny to me, but okay. I
2: know it's, but yeah, I think, I think the parenting is terrible.
3: There, there have been so many times when I've, I've gotten into a, you know, a long debate or discussion on social media, on like Facebook in particular, and then I have to remind myself, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm having this argument with a grown man, like I'm speaking <laughs> to this grown man as if he's, yes. you know, as if he's a child, as if he's, um, you know, this is a middle school kid and he still has a lot of room for growth. And maybe if I talk to him and, and, you know, imp- you know, give him some of my life experience, he'll get, it. it's like, now nah, this guy's fucking 45. This guy's 45 right. years old. For him. Yeah. Um, and, th- and I think, I, I, I think when it comes to, to the, you know, the child rearing and it's something that, that I'm going to have to be thinking about because I have, uh, A one-year-old, and we have another another child on the way. Um, In uh, the coddling of the American mind by Greg Lukianoff and and, uh, Jonathan Haidt, one of the things that they talk about is the lack of free play and the effect that that's having on kids. So Mm -hmm. you have you know these kids growing up where their lives are basically regimented from. Once they wake up to once they go to bed, everything is structured, everything is scheduled, and it's even getting to the point where, when these kids are playing with one another, rather than, um, you know, uh, if they have difficulty, rather than you know sort of settling it among themselves, they're immediately told, "Well, go get an authority figure to come and fix this." Right. right. So then you have, you know, I've I've had so many experiences like this with with people um, when I was living in Brooklyn where uh if I wasn't wearing a mask on the street they would say something to me and then I would respond back and say something and they weren't prepared to actually <laughs> get a response from me and it's like wait a minute you just yeah. you know you just called me a bad person and I turned around and said what'd you say asshole and then it's like uh, uh, you're a are a terrible <laughs> person you're a, and I'm like you're trying to shame me okay that's not working now what else do you got you know now I what knew. else is I what that's that's a really
2: that's a really insightful uh, point that you brought up um, the fact that a lot of these people are ready to socially aggress against other people in a way that I would consider to be inappropriate, a violation of etiquette or a violation of normal boundaries. Right. Sure. But they are absolutely unprepared to hear it back. And that indicates something. And wh- I think what that indicates is they have never experienced pushback. Mm-hmm. They have lived in a world in their home with their parents, perhaps in their school, in their social community, where they are always the good people. Nothing they do is bad by definition because they are the good people. They they don't experience yeah. um failure, failure, and and, and and criticism. Like the other night, I I um I was at the grocery store at about nine o'clock at night. And I walked out um, and I was walking towards my car and a young college age woman was walking toward, our paths were gonna cross, right? So we had to figure out which of us was gonna dodge the other, right? And she's walking back from her car, I assumed to put her, uh, her shopping cart back in the cart corral. Um, so we ended up like, oh, uh, one stepping this way, one stepping this way, went around her, so irritating. Um she looks at the store. I can see what's going on in her head. She's trying to find a way that she doesn't have to take the cart back that she can just leave it in the parking lot, right? So what does she decide to do? She puts the she puts the cart in smack in the middle of the one open handicapped spot in the parking lot, right? And I I'm much better at stopping myself. Uh, from just letting things fly out of my mouth than I used to be, but (laughs) it just flew out of my mouth. And I said, you know, considerate people put the cart back in front of the store. They certainly don't put it in a parking spot, let alone a handicapped parking spot where somebody who needs that spot might legitimately need to park. And this is what I got from her. Well, you know, you know before I do it exactly what I'm going (sighs) to (laughs) do. Wait, make that face again. That's awesome.
3: Wait, is she is she saying she's special needs? Is that, uh, is that what she's, she's saying? Like,
2: what? And, and I'm like, that's not normal. What you're doing is not normal grown-up behavior. And, and she's like, yeah. and then she goes, okay, whatever. I am so done. I am done. And That's she a walks,
0: childish thing.
2: She walks yeah. back to the car with her friend in it, you know, and it's pissing me off also because she is the very definition of able-bodied. I mean, she is she is slim, muscular, attractive. She's wearing workout clothes. She obviously just got back from the gym. You know, she's, she's kind of done up even though she's in the gym. I mean, I'm sorry, but, yeah, she struck me as pretty damn narcissistic and inconsiderate. Sure. And she was so offended. She was literally shocked that anyone – that an adult actually said something to her about her bad behavior so i think we're dealing with two levels here we've got the level of baseline absolute lack lack of consideration for other people right this isn't the worst sin in the world I, i i know but but it's still not good behavior but so we have that so she's already comfortable doing that she doesn't feel obligated to let handicapped people actually be able to park but then she's extra offended that somebody checked her on her breaching etiquette. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Right. And she probably believes in white privilege
1: too. Um
0: <laughs> It's it's that it, that way she reacted is very childlike. And I see it's it's just like middle school.
1: I don't know. I've heard it said that the shopping cart test is is a good litmus to, I don't know if I necessarily believe this, but I've heard it said that the shopping cart test is a good test for whether someone belongs in Western civilization. I believe um, it maybe. is. Yeah, because it's it's the kind of thing that normally no one pays attention to. There's actually no negative consequences generally for, for violating the rule of returning the cart. And so there's you only return the cart, but it's not. it doesn't take that much. Um, and it's something that's that's courteous and considerate. And you only really do it. Um, for your own satisfaction. You don't do it because someone's watching you or there's consequences. You do it because it's the right thing to do. And it's a little thing that you can do to be part of your community that's the right thing to do. And I do think there's validity to that argument that if you fail the shopping cart test, you're probably not the kind of person you can build a free society on. You're not the kind of person who can accept the responsibility necessary to also get the freedom that goes with it
3: now I, I now i think somebody's gonna come out and start using the shopping cart test as like a, <laughs> as a virtue signal like now we're gonna see a lot of selfies where it's like i'm, I'm a I'm good put person it back. okay uh <laughs> put like, it back. hashtag carter yeah hashtag like uh you know west is the best hashtag carter <laughs> uh, <you know.
0: laughs> i was gonna say that i think uh whether you put the toilet paper roll over or under is a good test for Western civilization.
3: <laughs> well, I'd have to get divorced
2: if that happened. The answer is over. It's yes, it's over. over. <laughs> Never under. I under agree with under. you both.
0: Yeah, I can't live with an uncivilized under person.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also My wonder, wife puts
1: you know, it under and it bothers me to no end. But I try but to yeah. like take a deep breath and be like, well, she's replacing it. So that's good. <laughs>
3: The, uh, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it at that. The, the woman, the woman <laughs> that you describe, you know, I, I wonder, you know, what her day was like leading up to that. She gets to the point where I'm done. You know, this is this is over <laughs> so quickly. You know, it's it, and you know, I I've I've been going through some stuff over the over the past you know couple of years, and I'm I know I'm never. Uh, sometimes people will will you know see me when I'm not at my best, right? But at least, I mean. The, but something happens afterwards where I I think, man, I could have handled that better or damn, I wish I can go back and, and and maybe fix that. I don't know. I I don't know if, if this person is like that. I hope they are, you know, I hope they're like, Oh, you know what? You know, looking back at that, that was a really silly way for me to respond to somebody who was just, you know, being considerate, looking out for other people.
0: You know what, Lou, can I answer this? Sure. I'm 99% sure she's not like that. A lot of people, it took me a while to realize a lot of people are not self-aware and they don't have, they don't, they don't like, like some of us are self-aware to the point where we have to battle neuroticism. Right. And, (laughs) and then, so it's not always a good thing. And, but it, but it's also, there are some people who are not self-aware at all. I've interacted with them and it blew my mind because it's like, wait, you don't have that thing where you're like, oh, that wasn't the best version of myself. I should go apologize to that person or I should do that. They just doesn't happen yeah. or they regret uh, regretting behavior. I think some, some people just don't regret behavior. They will find a way to, in their mind justify what they did to protect themselves. It's a form of psychological protection of like, well, it was okay that I behaved like an ass because that person, blah, blah, blah. You know?
4: Yeah.
3: It, I, I had a, so, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, uh, just a, just a quick thing. I remember uh there was, there was one day, this was years ago, it was a really hot summer day, and I was dragging, I was dragging a suitcase through, through the city, through Manhattan, and I had already been on the subway with this thing, I, it was, I was just not having a good day, and I'm walking, and the suitcase hits a snag in the sidewalk, and just plops down, and it's like one of those things where it, it plops down, and, I, and I'm already like five steps ahead, and some dude ahead of me starts laughing. Right. And my immediate reaction is I get pissed off. I'm like, yeah, real funny, man. And then I and then I, I grabbed I grabbed the thing and I and I, I take a moment and I remind myself that I'm a comedian and I remind <laughs> myself what just happened. And I actually, like, called after the guy and I said, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm having a kind of shitty day that was actually kind of funny.
4: You know?
3: <laughs> and that was it we were That's two strangers great. we never met again but I, yes. I, I'm, I'm, even something like that I'm like I'm so happy that I didn't let that destroy my day because I, I'm the type of person I would have obsessed about it like this freaking guy man the nerve on him to laugh at me laugh at me on the street in my moment of du- distress Duress. You know, Jira- yeah.
0: Josh's eyes want to say something <laughs> <I can> say-
2: <laughs> 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 I, I'm gonna need an eye mask too to be acceptable in public. Um, I interesting Lou because yeah, I I felt like you were I felt very seen. I thought <laughs> you were describing the inside of my head too because you know I will I have to stop myself from nursing those those mental grievances uh, a lot actually. But I wonder. See, I inter- when you told that story, I interpreted it the way I tend to interpret these things, which has its own bias, but I've noticed that humor, um, people seem much more ready these days than they were maybe 20 years ago to laugh in a cruel way. They laugh Mm. at other people's misfortune and hurt. Mm. Um, And I don't know if I'm projecting that onto that, you know, I wasn't there to see what you saw, but that was immediately where I went to. It's like, you know, people. It seems to be really easy to get a laugh out of people these days by showing somebody physically getting hurt or being humiliated socially. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's. I mean, reality TV is the is the example of that, right? I mean, I, it makes me. If I just sit there and watch it, I'd end up being angry and probably crying because I cannot stand. I cannot stand to see people take delight in other people's suffering. And that seems to be much more common than it used to be. So I immediately thought that guy was laughing at you uh, because he liked you being frustrated, but I might be too cynical.
3: Oh, or he might have, like I, it's quite possible that that's what his, his intentions were. But thankfully I didn't allow that, you know, to, to, to affect me, you know, and it, and, and that's the thing too. I think, I think a lot of times, we can make the mistake of reading intentions into into other people. Yeah. Assuming the worst I know intention do that.
0: instead yeah. of assuming the best. Yeah. Plus that's yeah, like I slap, thought your story was gonna be that he comedy. was laughing
1: Yeah. I thought your story was gonna be he was laughing about something else and you felt like a jerk for calling him out. Because I've definitely oh. done stuff like that where where I've thought that someone was reacting to some stupid thing I did, but I was just in my own little world and only I noticed the stupid thing I was doing. And they were living their life. they had having <laughs> nothing to do with me. Living right? their best um, life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what, what's the, I don't think so. I don't think that a lot of these it's, I don't even want to call them diseases, the cluster B trait. I want to call them behavioral traits because I don't, I don't think that they're diseases in the same way. Most of them are diseases and they're not diseases in the same way that AIDS or something else is. Um, and you know, something that if you can go to cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy and get talked out of a disease, It's arguable that it was ever a disease in the first place. So let's just call them behavioral traits. Why did these behavioral traits, what has been the cause of the rise of these behavioral traits? Because I agree that there has been a rise. There's been a rise in in appreciation of schadenfreude, and for lack of a better, like a a non-technical term, there's there's just been a lot of snowflake hypersensitivity and defensiveness.
2: Yeah. Well, um, I want to do a little quick disambiguation and clarification from okay. my point of view. Um, I I don't use the term disease. I think you might be keying off. I use the well, they're, they're called disorders, right? Sure, um, sure. Uh, and there is a conversation to be had about the degree to which we medicalize psychological states. That's a reasonable and legitimate conversation. I think it's outside the scope of what we can talk about right now. But um, there is a, a difference, and I'm glad you brought up traits, but there, there's something that's very important to remember. Um, there, is a st- there is a psychological state of being that is not merely having traits, it is a full-blown disorder. There is an actual empirical difference between someone or someones who display some traits sometimes and those who display them frequently and severely enough that that a psychologist or a psychiatrist would actually be able to diagnose them as having a personality disorder whether you like the word disorder or not substitute another word if you don't like it say you know uh, sometimes one or and all the time always avoid one right i don't care what your terminology is but those are two different psychological states so for example um there i say this on the show Most of the traits of personality disorders are human traits. They're not traits that only people with full-blown cluster B disorders have, right? Splitting is one of them. Splitting is seeing the world in black and white, seeing people as all good or all bad, or an issue as all on this side and not on this side. We do a lot of this. Most, it seems to me that most adults that I see in the United States right now have severe case of splitting politically, right? Yes. They're not all cluster Bs. Most people aren't cluster Bs. Um, you know, and I've said this on the show, too. I mean, you know, coming from the background that I come from, I have some traits of borderline and histrionic uh, that are part of my character and my personality, and I have to work to keep them under control. And they're much better than they used to be. Um, So, you know, we all fall somewhere on a spectrum of how agreeable or disagreeable we are, how clear thinking we are. But, you know, there is actually a state you know whether you like the term or not. There's a difference between someone who's an actual cluster B disorder case and someone who has sometimes traits of, right? Well, but, I
1: guess my question is is that is is the number of people? I'm 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 happy to accept that there's a spectrum and that we draw a line somewhere in that spectrum and say this is severe and this is less severe. That's that's fine. Uh, but is there has there been a rise in in what would be called severe
2: and why is that? Yes, there has been. Um, and, um, not to niggle, but I'm going to niggle, um, sure. the thing about it, if, if, if we, if we categorize somebody as being in the state that I would call a disorder by definition, that is already severe. There's no such thing as, as there are milder people who have borderline and people are more severe, but in an absolute term, even the mildest borderline is already severe, right? You know, personality Sure. So when I said that,
1: there. let's, let's re let's rephrase my question. There's a spectrum of traits, and you draw a line somewhere, and you call the stuff on this side a disorder. Yeah, right. You're saying there there's going a rise in disorders.
2: Yeah, and traits of. So both of the things that both. you're talking about, there's both okay. have been rising. Um, I, you know, I've I've read some literature, um, tracking the rate of both traits and fully diagnosable conditions among college students in the West over the past twenty to twenty five years. Uh, some of the studies, it's absolutely off the charts. There was one of them, um, don't hold me to this, I'd have to go back and, and, and read it and give you a citation, but I'm, I'm close to it here. The researchers were shocked to find that of the respondents in their survey, and again, these were college students, so not across society, that between 20 and 29% of, of them showed significant signs of narcissistic, histrionic, and borderline um, states of mind. Um, and in comparison to what they would have found thirty years ago or forty years ago um so yeah, there are studies out there that show that the absolute number of people who are fully disordered is on the rise but there's there's quite a bit of evidence out there that the traits themselves uh even among those who don't meet the full criteria for a disorder are on the rise too and I think it's parenting i, was going I think to
1: ask, it's, is it environmental
0: it's I think it's parenting, I think it's also. Um, social media. It's also va- yes. what what the culture is validating. Social media validates, like you mentioned earlier, Josh, having um, like these moments of road rage or the moment of the woman reacting to you, checking her about the shopping cart. Those used to happen uh, office offline in a, in a person's personal life, it, you know, to an audience of very few people who are around. And then those people did not experience what you talked about, Lou. They did not experience self-reflection or regret, or uh, they did not feel like they needed to make apology for it. But now, not only do they not experience self-reflection, they record it and upload it, or they do long posts p- portraying themselves as the victim. Somehow, this guy today in the supermarket—would you believe what he said to me about the shopping cart? You know, and they make themselves into the victim of this narrative, and they people they get rewarded for it.
2: I I have a friend who, um, um, who has two, uh, two quotes that I always remember, um, because they're so pithy and they really, really boil it right down. And and it's similar. It's it's about alcohol and about social media. And she, she would say for a lot of people, alcohol is a personality disorder in a bottle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of, if, if anybody doesn't know, Um, doesn't really know what cluster B personality disorders are like Um, you, you, all of you watching or listening, all of you have experienced this. You may not think you have, or you may simply not know that it has a name and that it's a psychological type. But if you've had experience of, of a chronic long-term alcoholic, um, Those behaviors are are all in the cluster B family. Not saying that all alcoholics are cluster Bs or all cluster Bs are alcoholics, but those those distorted frames of mind and distorted ways of relating to each other that you see in in alcoholic parents, abusive parents, um, backstabbing bosses, that sort of thing. You're in the neighborhood of the psychological territory. But the other thing she says is social media, the very structure of social media, propels all of us into cluster B type behaviors. And I think she's right um you know not everybody but even people people who are are able to have normal conversations and take things in proportionally and assign them proportional weight not catastrophizing them social social media pushes most people into very extreme um forms of acting out that that they would not do otherwise i think
1: is I'm always hesitant to blame social media because I view it as a tool that's just enabling humans to behave in ways that humans behave, and it's it's really if humans didn't have that inside them, social media wouldn't create it so right. yeah. um I, <sighs> How much time does each of you spend on social media? Like, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. Do you all spend time on social media? I spend all? too much
2: time on Twitter. Yeah,
3: yeah, I spend yeah. a lot of I spend a lot you of do. time on it. Yeah, and, and and in part, you know, because a lot of the work that I do um, is online. You know, so you know, putting videos out and um, trying to build a community on on locals. Um, you know, but I th- there there's definitely a part of me where it's like if I I wonder if I'm using that. I might be using that as an excuse, actually. I might, I might be able to, do, to get done everything I get done with maybe like an hour or two a day. Um, but I'm stretching it out because I, I get sucked in. And then also, you know, it's also fun. Like sometimes, uh, sometimes I wonder how many people are getting upset online because it makes them feel alive you know because it um, it gets those juices flowing oh, it get, it makes them feel like yeah. i'm in a fight yeah. ah i get my adrenaline up and i and i you know and and i'm um i'm i'm fighting a battle like i'm not going to go off to war but i can have it here and i can get those you know that in those endorphins going you know and, and so it's like a general societal on that's being
1: <laughs> and there's an outlet well, for it on social media
0: we've talked about this before, maybe not on this show, maybe it was on another show I was on, but they, I know people get, you can get addicted to the chemicals that your body releases, whether they're positive or negative. And if you're not getting a lot of positive ones, you can get addicted to the negative ones. I know people who become addicted to the negative ones, whether it's online or offline, who provoke and engage in fights and, uh, uh, negative hysterical interaction because they get a dopamine rush from it. And they're not getting a dopamine rush from the positive interactions. They don't have those. So it's like, I think you could easily just be like, well, that's where I get that. That's where I get my endorphins. Like you said, Lou,
1: is it dopamine or adrenaline or is it, I I guess my, like, is it like a kid who sometimes when a kid acts out, it's just for attention, right? Like they want love, but they'll take hate because the worst thing is neglect. Right. So, any kind of, any maybe what they're seeking is psychological visibility. Any kind of reaction from other people is validation that I exist and matter in some way, whether it's good mattering or bad mattering, I matter. Um, is that what you're talking about?
0: Go ahead, Lou, oh, but that's what oh. I'm talking about, sort of. I think it's also chemical, though. I think they do get addicted to it.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and And I wonder, you know, I wonder how much of it is sincere too, like how much of of anger or um, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, rage uh is sincere versus, you know, performative, you yeah. know, like uh how many people really believe this stuff? So one of the things that I started that I started doing is uh if I found myself, you know, sort of being dragged down into a conversation that wasn't necessarily going anywhere or it didn't seem like it, it didn't seem like the per, the other person wanted it to go anywhere i would say like look you know uh if this is important to you like let's meet up take me out for coffee you know and and what i found is for most people maybe it's maybe it's saying something about me i'm not worth a five dollar coffee uh <laughs> a coffee date but you know it, it, it's something where you know if, if there are people who i cared about and i found myself getting into like a really you know a rough conversation with them i'd be like hold on a second we got a we got to get off this, uh, you know, off this platform and and talk about it either over the phone or, or or like we're doing, uh, right now. So I, I, yeah, I think there's an element there of how important is this to you as as opposed to just like a quick fix that you're, Mm -hmm. that you're able to get.
4: Yeah.
1: Part of the issue is on social media is that conversations happening in front of other people. So if, if I'm just DMing with you, Lou, yeah, it's better to go to coffee, but, If we're just DMing, that's better than if we're doing it in front of everyone on Twitter and we can have a conversation and there's still problems with text rather than face to face. But, uh, I think I'm less likely to be looking for accolades from the audience or trying to get one over on you or score points if I'm, if I don't have a stage that I'm performing on. And that's one of the aspects of social media is these conversations that would normally be private are, are on stage. Everything's on a stage
3: and and i wonder how much of uh, of you know how much of one's identity is sort of laid out there you know uh you know look how long, i've been on facebook for my god how many years about 15 years maybe you know yeah. maybe longer there's so much of me out there not now now it's not the whole story it's not all of of who i am but so much of me is out there that i wonder um if somebody you know does something as simple as disagree with me it's almost like you're disagreeing, you're disagreeing with me. You're not disagreeing <laughs> with this point. You're disagreeing with me and my humanity and all that I am. How dare you even question, sir, how dare you even question the, the fact that I'm leaving a shopping cart? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Carter, that's like,
0: go ahead. I just real quick. That's Eckhart Tolle, I think is someone I've read <laughs> who talks about that. And that really had an impact on me about people mistaking their opinions for their identity. And that's why they feel personally attacked. That's why people can feel as if they're being personally attacked when you disagree with their opinion because they, they mistake it for their identity. So then they actually personally attack you back. Well, you're an awful person. Da, da, da It's like, wait, why is this person personally attacking me? Oh, cause they, they thought my disagreement with their point, they mistook that for me attacking them who they are.
1: It's interesting that you say that Carrie, cause, uh, I've never read a cart totally, but I noticed that trait unrelated to social justice and online stuff probably 10 years ago, coaching founders, where one of the things we realized we had to do with startup founders was to convince them that they were not the same thing as their idea. So when you yes. were getting negative feedback about your idea and your business, you didn't need to be personally defensive about that. <laughs> like we're the feedback you're getting is to help you hone the business, which might have problems. And like, it's not an attack on who you are, but that's a very, that was a very difficult problem. And I don't, I haven't asked like older investors or or coaches or those kind of people who like what the entrepreneur of yesteryear was like, and if it was the same level of difficulty, but we certainly noticed just being able to find people willing to accept feedback without being massively defensive and taking everything personal was quite a problem it was it was shocking the few number of people that could do that
4: yeah
2: well i i i mean i'm <clears throat> i'm not surprised that you, that you found that because i think that it it's probably related to i mean if, if we believe that the way parenting is done in the environment that children grow up in is, is not what it needs to be. And it is not doing some of the things for the development of children's minds and personalities that it used to do. Not that we were ever in a golden age. One of the consequences of that is people walking around in adulthood with extraordinary insecurity. Um, That's what this comes down to. This is fear, right? Insecurity is fear. Um, And, you know, uh, I mean, I, I understand it personally, uh, because I stayed very, very insecure and brittle far longer into my adult life um, than, than I should have, I, I think, according to what I think adults ought to normally <clears throat> uh, be able to do. And I think you're right that people do experience, like you said, Lou, and, and you said, Carter, that criticizing our idea is criticizing their personhood. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it is related to what we hear when when people who are in the rainbow, sparkle, glitter, LGBT alphabet community saying you're questioning my very right to exist. Yes. Like we we make fun of that because it's, it's hyperbolic. Right. And it's annoying and it's relentless and it's tiresome. All of that is true. But I think they're they are actually many of them are actually telling us something that they are genuinely experiencing. Um, I'm not saying that that excuses their behavior. It doesn't. They need to to go past that. But I think in order to understand it, I believe them a lot of when they say, you are questioning my very existence because they don't have a secure identity.
0: Yeah. You're invalidating my right to exist. I've heard women say that too. One of my great unfriendings was with a former friend of mine who's still in the social justice cult and she's a feminist media critic. She unfriended me publicly online for disagreeing with her opinion about Kavanaugh hearing. And she said that, uh, that anyone who supported Kavanaugh doesn't believe that women have are human and that women don't have a right to exist, <laughs> which again, you're right. You want to laugh at the hyperbole, but I think on some level she actually believes that.
1: I think she probably does too, sure. she may have convinced herself she may not have started out believing it, but she may have convinced <clears throat> herself sometimes if you tell yourself a lie over and over again, you you end up believing it yourself, right you're lying to yourself, yeah. worst of all,
3: yeah, I'm just imagining'm so. I'm just imagining uh Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh uh, when he was making love to his wife to produce his children. there was just just <laughs> it was just emptiness. Yeah, there was no, there was no woman there. Whatsoever. I hate you. I hate you. I hate yeah. you. You're non-existent. Non-existent.
4: Not yeah, even baby. Tell you me, know. I'm non-existent. It's non-existent. You don't, exist.
3: I, you don't. It's just it, he's just air pumping. You know.
0: <laughs> Actually, wait, wait. <laughs> You're not human. <laughs>
1: yeah. Wait. Since you brought up sex, I'm gonna Dude. bring up the kink community because I think it's an outlet where a lot of this dysfunction is being played out. Um, you think? <laughs> yeah, and I want someone to comment on that that's not me, so I don't have to talk about the kink community.
0: Can I just uh, say real quick, actually, before we do kink, just let me read this real quick, Carter, because uh, we had some comments for you guys. One Here's one from Oceana23. says, Lou is freaking awesome. Great guest.
4: Thank I you. Just,
0: I just want to say an overall thank you for the super chats, and they're very happy that you guys are here. Uh, Constitutional Truth says, except there is research evidence that social media is designed to take advantage of the human psyche?
4: Um,
0: yes, but could- not
1: to do the thing that we're talking about. It's designed to take advantage of human psyche in order to get more clicks and more behavior. It's not designed to intentionally make us dysfunctional in in the way that we're talking about. I think it's just not designed to not do that. They just don't, that wasn't, I mean, everyone in, I'll tell you right now, everyone in Silicon Valley read Hooked by Near Ayal. They all went to the, the Stanford, classes or, or hired people who went to Stanford classes about how to, how to build addictive products. Like their goal is not how can we make people fragile and the world dysfunctional? Their goal is how do we get rich? We need more users. We need more clicks. Like that's it.
0: Right. It it
2: appears to be, it appears to be a ride along, right? It appears to be, if we're going to have this, then we also get these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: Christopher Gorey. Hi, Christopher. He says, I've wondered a bit if bullying plays into this. Maybe a lot of these people suffered childhood bullying, and this is their revenge. Um,
1: Wait, wait. Can we pause on that, too? Sorry. Yeah. I don't believe the bullying narrative thing. I think bullies were way more prevalent when I was a kid, and I'm 46. There's no way that bullies are more prevalent now than they were when I was a kid. You could get beaten up for doing the wrong thing all the time. Like, people... I don't know. Maybe there's more bullying and maybe it's more online bullying. So maybe that's much different. And and that's and girls are experiencing a lot more. But I don't know what I I don't. Am I wrong? Is is bullying like is there objective empirical evidence that bullying is on the rise or just complaining about bullying is on the rise?
2: I think it would be hard to know that Um, I and I think you're right to be skeptical because I don't know how we would know it Uh, because the kinds of it seems to me that the kinds of stories, articles, um pieces in the media that we get about this are are all coming from places that I no longer trust anyway because I've seen them gin up narratives about everything that had nothing to do with the truth, uh that were hyperbolic, histrionic, overly emotional. Uh usually usually in the service of of ele- I was going to say Absolutely. you know denigrating victim, but actually b- today people are elevated to the status of victim, right? This is a yes. social elevation. It is not a denigration. Being a victim is now an achievement. Um, and,
0: the, and the bullies claim to be bullied. They claim to be the bullied. It's this funny. Th- like, I don't yeah. trust these studies now. Any study that tells me here's how prevalent bullying is, I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, who's the bully in your study? Like, How are you determining who the bully is? Because the bullies are all like, I'm the victim as they
2: bully you. And, and that, that's, that's very a typical of- cluster B. That's the yeah, reversal.
3: I'll, yeah.
1: I will admit that there's a there's a difference between bullying when I was growing up, which would be much more personal, um, and bullying online. And would like if if someone's getting bullied in high school in the nineteen eighties, like maybe a couple people would gang up, but you'd also have a couple friends that might support you or whatever. In in the online world you can get thousands of people to bully you and no one to support you and people to be afraid because the mob has gotten so big. So I do see, I do, I will admit, I do see a distinction there that ha- that is new, but I don't see this fragility in adults uh, as the byproduct of social media because the people who grew up with social media are too young. Those aren't the adults we're talking about. When you say there's a 45 year old you're arguing with on, on Twitter, Lou, who's like losing his shit, like he didn't grow up with social media
0: no, but we've all been affected by it. I, I think it's a combination of, it's not this either or thing. It's parenting, but it's also social media. And I think maybe there's just a, a you. what's the word? We're just having a, um, we're not disagreeing. I don't think social media is the origin of, of this. I think this is, it is tapping into something that is in human nature, just like you can tap into things that make us better versions of ourselves. And I would argue that, christianity does that or can do that or some type of faith can do that um it can also tap into some of your more darker uh lives but but social media i think has tapped into some something dark in the human psyche or or at least we see that we see it accelerating that just like alcohol it's like alcohol is not not, a drunk's not going to say something that they, that's not in them, the alcohol just brings it out. Do you know what I mean?
2: But, but yeah, I'm bring- not
1: disagreeing. I, I'm not saying yeah. one or the other. I do think they both play a role. I'm just trying to figure out how much of each, what, role. what each thing's contributing, right? Yeah.
2: That may be the, the biggest problem um, with social media, if you want to liken it to alcohol, and I think you can. Um, you know, people say in vino veritas, right? Yeah. And yes, my, my my view of that is yes and also no. You have to look at both sides of it. Yes, it's true that you will say things um, and act out in ways that are living in your mind. Alcohol loosens your inhibitions. Some other drugs loosen your inhibitions as well. Um, but I think that social media does that too. And I think, Carter, I think you're right that it's not it's not as if social media or alcohol creates these thoughts um, in, in people that don't already have them. Um, I don't think it does that. But I think it does something for a lot of people that's really dangerous that absent the alcohol or absent the social media, these things wouldn't get expressed. And it is their expression uh that is causing us so many problems. Like it's it removes our filter, it removes our sensor. Um so you know, it's okay that we all have some dark thoughts, right? But the fact that so many of our dark thoughts and our destructive ways are so easy for the gate to, to open up i think might be the problem
0: and it validates yeah, I, that that makes sense it makes us, it gives us uh, incentives like we get it's, it's i got in a fight in high school and well i got in a couple fights one of them <laughs> i didn't get any negative uh, i didn't get any disincentives i got incentives for it people were like oh i'm glad like teachers even they were happy that I fought this bully and it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't get the right feedback from that, I guess is the way I'm putting it. People are not getting the right, the correct feedback on social media when they're engaging in war and, and fighting and, and bullying and um, just like the wrong responses or the wrong behavior. It's they're, they're getting validated. They're getting feedback, positive feedback for negative behaviors.
3: That's the way I view it. Also, when it when it comes to bullying too, I'm I'm interested to, I I want to know what people think of when they say something like you know bring back bullying, which I think was one of uh, uh, oh, yeah. one of the comments on the video, like bring back I, bullying. By and the way, I wasn't arguing that. Oh no 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 no, no. It, it was it was it was, a, it was a comment that that popped up because I, um, you know I've hear I've heard that often, right? But you know the reality is that if you were an adult, right, and every single day you went to work, some bigger guy shoved you into the wall and smacked you in the face and took your took your money, you wouldn't be like, yeah, bring back bullying. You'd be like, I got to call the fucking cops because this guy's assaulted me. He's you know, he's robbed me a bunch of times. So there's something that happens when you're a kid and it's like, oh, yeah, that's shitty behavior. That's all right. You know, that's just something you have to you have to push through. But meanwhile, the same people I think that would be calling for that wouldn't put up with it very long. You know? Yeah.
1: And yeah. and I there's a I think there's a balance with kids because you also want to, to you're trying to teach them how to rely on how to resolve conflict on their own. And obviously there's a point on the playground at which conflict escalates. To the point where you should have intervention from someone outside clearly mm-hmm. um but i think the difference that we were talking about earlier is really the it's turning to the the authority figure first rather than as a last resort right and you i think yes. you cited coddling of the american mind lou right I've, i i remember reading that i didn't remember what book i had read it in but i guess that was it because i remember that story and i remember thinking yeah, unstructured playtime, which is not something that we have now at all. There's always kind of supervision. You set up playdates with people now, and we can get into reasons why that is. I think it has to do with the destruction of the family and lack of suburb like life in the way that it used to be. There's a whole bunch of complex reasons why kids aren't just outside by themselves, unsupervised anymore. But even when they were, if things escalated to the point where someone was like, if it came to blows, usually a parent would be called, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And that's appropriate. It's so funny. You uh, talking about unstructured play. I mean, yeah, there there just isn't that anymore. I don't know if you guys notice this. It probably varies geographically, but when I'm out and around in around Burlington, you know, I several nights a week I do DoorDash food delivery, so I'm I'm in and out of every neighborhood around here. I see how people live in different parts of the city, and anybody. In, in what we would call the middle class, I almost never see children, whether they're eight years old, 10 years old, 12, 14, I almost never see children outside playing without mothers there with them. I mean, yep. all the play is monitored. I mean, I look at it and it's like, that's just not what it was like when I was a kid. No. Um, and, and when I do see children, when I do see children who are outside playing um, after school, uh, riding bikes in the street. It's almost always working class in poor neighborhoods. And it it's funny to me that I think that a lot of people look at it. Oh, those are irresponsible parents. They don't even watch after their children, but that behavior used to be more common when I was a kid. And that was normal, you know, and, and yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, go ahead. I just, um,
0: can I just read a couple more of these or do you have a final thought on that Carter? No, no,
1: let's go ahead and read some more Super Chats. I should probably mark them off so I know which ones we've done, but go ahead. I'm going to
0: get caught up on the old one. Super excited to catch y'all hosting Joshua. His show is amazing and informative. Love y'all. This is from Constitutional Truth. Thank you, Constitutional Truth. And then Richard Pett says, oh, this was about, I think he's right here. He says, hi, guys. I think road rage can be a good test, both for oneself and for others' state of psychology. I find it to be a great check on myself. Uh, That's true for me. Rebecca P says, Josh, I cannot stop talking to others about your disaffected podcast. It's so great. Thank you for connecting the dots on cluster B and the woke left. And the very first one, Christopher Gorey says, one thing I find very sad is the growing movement of people willing to accept any debasement just to feel superior or a part of something. Thank you guys.
1: By the way, before that just since we're going, I got, I have the whole history in front of me. So let's, uh, okay. before that Christopher Gorey said, Hey, Carrie Carter, load up the fam and transplant to our still semi-sane Republic of Texas. We cook good. Pardon the English.
0: <laughs> we do cook good here. Um, <laughs> mm,
1: I love me some good fried <laughs> fried good.
0: You guys. Oh well, this is out of order because it's but it's related to what we're talking about now. Two a self defense law says most liberals view themselves as victims of oppression, or uh, the intersectional rainbow victim. Yeah, see, it depends on how you define liberals because I don't think I don't think most liberals like classical liberals do. I think it's this new, this 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 virus, this, what did James Lindsay call it? It's like the parasite that's growing out of the side of the tree of liberalism, social justice. It's in that authoritarian liberal belief system. Yes. You get uh, incentives for being a victim of oppression. You get incentives for being a victim and, and painting yourself in such a way. And so you get positive reinforcement for, for, for that and so there's it's this competition to see who's the most oppressed.
3: But is it but there's a there's also an, a weird thing happening too where um you know say 10 years ago I and mean, one of the worst things you can call somebody is a racist. You know like mm-hmm. no, like oh my god you called me a racist is terrible. And now there's this seem, seemingly a movement to say we are all racist. Okay, I'm a racist and you're a racist. We're all racist, so when you see me, I want you to know that I'm a racist, but I'm also, but I'm also a good. Beverly, person. can you clip that out? We can play it. For- <laughs> <laughs> um, and and note I, I, what a what a what a shitty way of disguising my voice too. Like not a, not a not a different character at all. But isn't I mean that's really really odd. Where it's sort of like um, step up and um, you know. Come to grips with the fact and proclaim that you're a racist, that you uh, are a you know uh, y- you've gained from white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like these are vile things, you know. It, it would be I, I would I I I I could not imagine hearing somebody saying that years ago and being applauded for it, you know.
1: Yeah, although I, as we've talked about before, and in fact, Carrie, you and I even I think we mentioned this the other day. On the interview with Jody, that's not out yet. But the the incentive behind doing that, I question, and I think Carrie does as well. And the there's a psychological motivation to saying we're all racist. and what that what that motivation is is it it divorces the behaviors of racism from your own uh, responsibility. So instead of taking responsibility for things you've done that you feel guilty about or evil thoughts even that you have that you haven't acted on. Um, you can then say, well, I'm a member of this group of people who all have this trait. Therefore, I'm not morally responsible for my failures in this area. And they, we saw the same thing with the Me Too movement with guys doing it. And we see it, we, and we see it now with the Robin D'Angelo's of the world saying, well, I'm racist, but you're all racist. So that I'm not, you know, I'm now I'm somehow there's a there's a level of absolution in saying that personal absolution.
2: Right. It's also well, necessary. No, you go ahead, Kerry.
0: I say It's also necessary because think about big picture what this ideology is doing. They are selling us racism. They're selling us racism. So they have to dilute how awful racism is at the same time. They have to make it be not that big of a deal. It's like, if I'm trying to get you to murder. Even though I'm telling you I'm all about anti-murder and I've redefined murder. So murder requires societal power. I can kill you but that's not murder. Murder (laughs) is killing plus power, (laughs) right? That's what they say. Racism is prejudice plus power. So murder is killing plus power. They're trying to get you to murder by redefining it. And then they have one of the ways they can do that psychologically is by getting us all to start talking about how we're all murderers. We're all murderers guys. Like we all murder. I had murderous thoughts yesterday. (laughs) I was born a
4: murderer.
2: (laughs) Like, I don't know. Doesn't this remind people of, um, this is why I think that, that this, this political movement, whether we call it wokeism, whether we call it leftism, um, you know, definitely, I mean, you know, I don't call it classical liberalism. I think of myself as a classical liberal, and, and I, I think they are in a, in a different philosophical camp. This reminds me of, I think this is fully religious behavior. Um, and I'm using that descriptively. I'm, I'm not, uh, I used, I'm an atheist, but I used to be hostile to religion. I was part of that tribe. I am no longer hostile to religion. Um, so I'm not saying this in a, in a derisive way, but it reminds me of um, when I was about 12 years old, there was an assembly of God church in my neighborhood, which is an evangelical fundamentalist um branch of, uh, denomination of Christianity. I don't know much more about it than that. Um, but there were some kids in my neighborhood whose family went there. We were not churchgoers, but I went a few times with my friends and they had this moment or thing where people would, um, be invited to come up to the front and confess their sins and, um, um, I, I don't know the right words for it, but it was like, confess your sins, cry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you are absolved. And I remember- During
0: convocation, con- I think is what it's called. Yeah. Where you're invited and, to come to the front to confess. Right.
2: And you told your sins and you confessed the bad things that you'd done and that you were, you know, you were powerless and you wanted the spirit of God to come into you. Um, this reminds me of that so much. It reminds me, it's I, it, they act as if they're in a mortification cult, Right. Like you could imagine them walking down. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're doing the equivalent of of um, of monastic orders in medieval times, walking down the middle of the street um, and and mortifying themselves with whips. Right. Yep. And masks. But the difference is you don't you don't actually get
1: absolution in the social justice church. You get a stay of execution. Mm. Temporarily. Um, and oh, if you yeah, continue to whip, no grace. maybe you can, you know, stay alive for a while. But the moment you stop or you misstep, you know, th- that all that stuff that you've done in the past actually wasn't forgiven. It's there.
2: Right. That is a crucial difference. But
0: yeah. uh, I um I know I got us off your subject of kink, Carter, because I want to read some super chats. <laughs>
1: Wow, you brought, but you brought it back, Carrie. I think you get props for that.
0: Yeah, I'm bringing it back. I know you want to talk about it. Let's hear about your kinks.
1: Well, my (laughs) experience is that I think that there is, and and Josh kind of gave me the "you think obvious" look when when I said this, but I think in the in the kink community, there's there is a lot of playing out of a lot of these psychological dysfunctions and. I don't actually think that's necessarily always bad. I, I think there are ways to play out psychological dysfunctions that can be healing, but I'm not sure. You can also play them out in ways that are re-injuring. Um, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. how, that I'm capable of making the distinction, but I, I have talked to um, psychologists before about that distinction. Um, and I'm just wondering if if anyone else sees sees that. Because if you just look, just look at sex, how sex in, in the United States has evolved in the sense of okay yes we were much more puritanical earlier on then we kind of loosened up and and extramarital sex or premarital sex or whatever became a thing and it was a kind of accepted norm and you wouldn't be shamed if you had a baby out of wedlock now i'm not saying i necessarily agree with all this i don't think it's a good idea to have a baby out of wedlock but this is this is what happened with our culture um and now if you I haven't done this in a while but if you look at Google and you see some of the the primary search terms for, for pornography they're they've gone I think they've gone in the past, you know, since the existence of the beginning of Google, they've gone from more more bland to more extreme yep. um kind of specific kinks and yep. I'm just throwing that out there and seeing if anyone has thoughts based on this conversation we're having about psychological uh traits well
3: when i uh when i was single so i've been with my wife for about eight years and there was a a period about like a year probably like a year and a half between my last relationship and me meeting the woman who who would soon to be my wife where i was going on every single dating site possible and one of the sites that i went on was was fet life uh f-e-t-l-i-f-e which is which is a kink, you know? Uh, site. It's
1: super popular. I think it's the most popular kink site.
3: And and uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't realize this. I mean, I thought I was you know your your typical horn dog, you know, dude who just got out of a out of a you know otherwise like sexless relationship, and I was ready to dive in and go nuts. Did you think uh, it was
0: fit life?
3: <laughs> yeah, I wanted abs, man. I thought I was going <laughs> to join the site and get abs. Um, but I realized how vanilla I was, you know, like compared to like, you know, t- compared to the other people there. And when you look at, you know, sort of, um, um, you know, fet life, and then the growth uh, or the, you know, the the transformation of pornography into a lot more kinky stuff, I wonder what the people who have actually been in kink in these communities for a while what they think about that because it seems like there's almost like a I don't want to call it like the Disneyfication of King, yeah, where it's sort of like just popularized, being popularized. whitewashed, it's mainstreamed, it. yeah. And, look at Fifty Shades of Grey; it's a mainstream thing now. Yeah, and and sort of uh, and and it's also and it's also giving people, especially young men, a false uh, you know just a, a false idea of what sex with a woman is like. Because look, there, this might anger some people, but most women, you know don't want the shit that you see in a video. Like they don't want that stuff. Um uh, they don't want to, to be performing that way. They don't want to be performing. You know, they want to be embraced. They want to, you know, um and then there's all, you know, different shades of, of what, you know, what people are are, are looking for. But I, I find that to be a an odd thing that that's that's certainly happening with uh things these days. 50 I shades think, you know.
0: of what people are looking for? I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um i i'm not gonna I'm not gonna TMI don't worry um but I do have some experience with that in the past um uh, in my view, and there are a lot of people who will say that this isn't true um and who insist that it's not that way, I would have been one of those people who said no, this isn't true, you're just you know da 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 da. In my view, people who are into, um, well, let's get specific. S and M, right? Like, like yeah, that's kink. what I was talking about specifically. Okay. The, let's talk to, the let's app. talk about yeah. bondage, domination, sadomasochism, right? Um, first of all, that has forever, at least through the twentieth century, has saturated gay male sexuality. That is not considered fringe in gay male sexuality is considered normative. I mean, look at the Tom of Finland, uh, coast, uh, posters and aesthetics that the theme of sadomasochism domination and subjugation is, is so tightly interwoven into gay male sexuality. I find it difficult to separate, um, you know, and you can think that's better or worse, but that's the way I see it. And in my experience, um, I believe that almost all of the people who get into that lifestyle um, are people who have backgrounds of trauma and child abuse. Um, Not all, but yeah, no, I don't think it's just some. I don't think it's just 20%. I think it's the great majority of people. Um, That was certainly true for me. Um, And I do not, there may be a way that people can do this stuff in a more healthful way. But I'm pretty strongly convinced that this is not coming from a psychologically healthy place, that the, the desire itself to engage in that is not a psychologically healthy desire. I think it is, is being trapped in inside um your past abuse. And I think that people, and I used to say this stuff myself, you know, oh no, this is, you know, we're we're making it okay, we're working through it. I don't think that anymore. I think you're just re-traumatizing yourself and re-traumatizing your partner. Um and I think it is very unfortunate that I think this has given people a very distorted view of sexuality, what they should expect from sexuality, the relationship between sexual pleasure and, and love and commitment. Um I don't think it's healthy.
1: Yeah. So let me. I want to dig a little bit deeper. I'm not going to ask you personally TMI stuff, but I'm going to dig a little bit deeper because I've already mentioned on this show I was in the King community for a while. Um, not not deep in it, but I had a partner who was in it and was on FetLife, and so I was, I was <laughs> in that community. Um, and my observation was that the a lot of the people who were who would identify as dominant in their personal life, in their private, their actual, like regular public, I'll say their public life, were in positions uh, lacking power and felt powerless. And, but in the bedroom, they, they would identify as dominant, and that's how they had their, their outlet. And the reverse was true as well. A lot of the people who identified as submissive and were looking for sexual submission scenarios were people who, in their actual life, held quite a lot of power. I don't know how that matches up to with what you're saying or not. I know that's that's a,
2: that's a very common observation that people have. Um, I, I honestly don't know what I think about that anymore. Um, I mean, you may be right, but I I remember, I I don't mean to say this, I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. When I said that as a justification for that kind of lifestyle, and again, I'm not trying to tell people what they can't do, right. That's not my job. Um, but I'm not gonna say that I think something is healthy that I don't think is healthy. Um, When I said those things, I was regurgitating received wisdom, right? So if if there is something to that outside of that's the brand that the community wants you to say, I don't know about it. I know that when I believed that I only believed it because it was what I was supposed to say. Mm -hmm. Um, But it may be true for some people. it's what I observe, but that's anecdotal, and I don't have any empirical data to back it up. Well, I mean, I think the thing, you know, this is hard to do. I don't know if there's a lot of actual well-designed, well-designed psychological studies, but there are some things that all of us know with enough experience either participating in this or in knowing people who have or in watching the community. There are certain things that we, we just know are true. and And what is true is that for a great number of these people— who, have, who are really turned on by the um, erotic politics of domination and submission, these people were victims of child abuse, right? They were beaten. They were humiliated by their parents. Uh, that was certainly true for me. It's true for millions of people. Um, I don't remember meeting very many people like that who did not fit that profile, right? Mm. And, I, and I don't think people like to talk about this because it's extremely uncomfortable um, to... Spend a lot of time, because a lot, you know, a lot of this is now seen as if you are a big enough or a strong enough person that you can say, I'm so secure and confident in my sexuality that I can be tied up and I can take the punishment and I can do this, that, you know, I've really grown, I've really matured as a person. If you spend a lot of time convincing yourself that, that that's where you are psychologically, it's very challenging to confront the idea that it may in fact be the opposite. You may, in fact, still be incredibly damaged in ways that you have not actually addressed, right? And that your erotic response to this is a conditioned response that has roots in actual severe abuse. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah, no,
1: I I don't disagree. And I think it's a conversation that needs to be had because it's hard because when you have that conversation, people assume that you're accusing them or... Um, condemning them or making some moral statement about what they're doing. And I, I view this as, no, I'm just trying to like, healthy psychology comes first. And I'm not necessarily judging people for how they deal with their unhealthy psychology, but I am recommending that their focus be on making their psychology more healthy and behavior, I do think there is a lot of re-traumatization that happens in there. And I guess to tie this back to our other thing, how is any of this related to the social justice?
3: Well, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was going to say, I'm just now I'm imagine, you know, if anybody's out there, you know, watching, I would say, you know, it might be a hard discussion to have, but reach out to a friend and just say, hey, man, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your butthole. I'm worried about what you're doing. <laughs> 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 I'm worried. I'm worried about <laughs> you. That, <laughs> I love you and whatever you need. Can food.
0: I, can I Thank give you, you a, uh, I that, thought you were going uh, to tie it back to masks because can I tell you, <laughs> I had this morning. Um, I usually don't cause a scene about the mask wearing. Uh, and I usually just avoid the places that are mask holes about it with two exceptions. One's the coffee shop I've told you about before Carter, that's close to Austin and there's super mask holes, And I just like to have, I like to go in there in disguise and a mask and then I get my coffee and then as soon as he gives it to me, I take the mask off. It's happened three times. It's just really funny. That's more of a funny thing that I enjoy doing. The, The other exception is a coffee shop here that I have more of a personal grudge against because they used to be my favorite coffee shop and they became super mask holes. And I don't go there anymore, except occasionally I'll just, I'll get a coffee at the next place and then walk through their shop maskless, like, hi, how are you doing? they're like, and they're like, Harry, get out. They know me by name <laughs> they're like, get out. I'm like, I'm just gonna be a second. I'm just going through your back door. And then <laughs> I couldn't help myself today. I got a coffee somewhere else and I walked through there because I wanted to see if they got rid of the mask requirement. Now that one of their saints or the priests has said, you don't have to wear masks if you've been vaccinated, Biden said this. So I did go in and I said, hey, he was like in coffee. I was like, hey, are you guys still wearing those religious fetish garments? And he was (laughs) turned around. And he was
1: like,
0: like, Carrie, get out. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, he still had it on. And I was like, okay, let me know when you're getting rid of this fetish. I might come back. And he was like, get out of our shop. (laughs) But I couldn't help it. But it does to me at this point, it's like. When are they going to stop wearing those things? I think they have become very religious. I think they have become a religious garment for people, and it's not just the identity, the the political identity thing, where people want to signal what tribe they're in. It's also like a deeply religious thing and, and a fetish thing. It's both at once. It's like some weird, I, I, I don't know. Well, it's, 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 a, it's right. a
1: submission fetish thing, right? It's a and, yes, and, yeah, and 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 I do think I I do think that the psych the The authoritarian and the obedient sheep are two sides of the same psychological coin. And I think actually people can flip from one to the other. It's The thing that's different is the person who doesn't want either side, right? Um, But I think that's why you have mask Karens. They're happy to be obedient and submissive to the CDC or whatever the governor is or, you know, whatever the rules are. They're happy to be compliant and submissive. But they're also happy to be rather pushy and dominant if you're an out group person they'll flip they'll flip very easily
0: i think i think some of them enjoy they don't mind authoritarianism they don't mind being submissive and debasing themselves like like somebody said in super chat earlier as long as they get a piece of the authoritarianism they feel like they get to boss other people around at whatever level they're at like okay, I'm okay being submissive and wearing this mask and everywhere I go, as long as I also get to tell people around me, they have to wear it. I mean, you've made that point before. They get to participate. There are people on Twitter, one of the images I sent Beverly, we didn't have time to put it up, but um, Carter, at the beginning of this, when we talked about Biden's tweets, you said, is it over now? No. Can I tell you what they're all saying on Twitter? They're all talking about um, how can we mark, how can we mark the unvaccinated they're replying to Biden. Blue check marks are replying to Biden. How about like a, a star
1: armband?
2: I ex- just don't have an idea that. Racist, Anti-Semite. <laughs> anti-Semite, anti-Semite, racist. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it, it's really creepy. They're saying, how do I know?
0: How do we know? And one of them, it was almost as if she was asking permission. Like, what permission will you, what yes. permission will you grant me to do? What can I do to these people who are unclean? Like, she was asking <laughs> Biden, how can we how can we know and what can we do? How are we you going are to exactly enforce
2: right. this? You are exactly yeah. right. You, this is, you are not over-egging it. You're not reading stuff into it. You are seeing it for I- exactly what it is. These people, these people love in-group and out-group politics. They are glorying in the fact that they are in the cultural catbird seat. Their guy guys in the White House, um, you know, they're, uh, they get to be anti-racist. They get to uh, make your children uh, learn these disgusting things about how they're terrible people born with the original sin of whiteness. They fucking love this. And they mean what they're saying. When they say, how can we find a way to mark the unclean? You are right. That is exactly what they want. It is a very dark, sadistic impulse. Yes. And it's awful.
0: It's, it's, like in- it's awful. It's like, and we read this book, Ordinary Men, for book club. There's a part in this book. Do you remember this Carter? I don't know if you guys have read this. Jordan Peterson recommended this book. There's a part in this book where they talked about how psychologically these reserve police officers um, in in Poland in, in Nazi Germany they 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 well they were they started being put in charge of the execution of thousands and thousands of Jews. And these were ordinary men. In, in the sense that they were just, they were reserved police officers, they were dentists and doctors and lawyers and whatever else. And they got thrown into this role and they found one of the things they found is that the first time they had to go out for a mass killing, um, they gave them the choice. If you want to turn back in front of everyone, they had to show that if you can't stomach this, leave. And a few did, but not very many. The next time they went out and told them to kill people, they didn't give them the choice and they preferred that they preferred the choice being the illusion of choice or whatever being taken from them, because then it was like, they felt better about doing it because most of them did it anyway. They wanted to comply. They wanted to comply. There was a lot of pressure to comply. So very few of them opted out. And then when they didn't give them the opt out, it was, it was like, now I can do this
1: responsibility. They don't want the
0: burden of responsibility. Tell me Mm -hmm. what I can do to these
2: people.
1: Yeah, I don't know and if, that's if I'm one taking of the biggest that too far, but... with, well, No, that is, I think that's one of the fundamental problems that we have with, so, like, we've got a lot of psychological problems as a culture, but one of the most fundamental, which I don't think you can run this, the kind of Western civilization that we want, you can't build it on a population that is not willing to take personal responsibility. You can't. You cannot build it on a population that won't return the shopping cart and take personal responsibility for their decisions. You can't run it on a population of people who are going to say... Give me orders i'll obey that that doesn't work you that's how you'll get authoritarianism i think and,
3: and, and oh, no. I was just going to say i think i'm I'm in this this weird category of i I did get vaccinated, my wife got vaccinated as well, and to hear people you know talk the way that, that you're talking about like marking people i'm like i that that is so alien to me um and, and it, I've sort of been going through this whole thing, you know, as, as long as everybody else has been going through this whole pandemic where it's like, I was looking for good news, you know, and you found, we found good news early on where it's like, this fucking disease doesn't affect children or, you know, or it doesn't, and it's like, and, and, and exactly. And I'm like, this is something to celebrate. Thank goodness that, that, that children will survive this stupid thing. And then we, you know, we find out, yeah, chance of you getting it outside. Oh man, it's, it's so extremely low. Don't worry about it. Thank God. Thank God. Let's, and, and, you know, when I was, you know, hearing about states opening up as well, like what's, you know, in Texas or, you know, Florida and Texas, you know, I'm, I was in, you know, New York at the time I'm in New Jersey. I'm looking at that and I'm like, awesome. You know, they're, they're handling their shit. This is This is stuff to celebrate. And then you have these ghouls who are, you know, like rooting against, uh, rooting against good, like the good news, progress. And I'm like, man, I just, uh, like I said, it's so alien to me to be able to, to even imagine being a part of that, part of that crew. It's crazy. But they they do, they want people want
2: this, Um, and they they are, you know, what you're seeing. I mean, it's not just. A few things you noticed, Lou, I mean, what you've noticed is is something that seems to be going on with so many of them. They are actually angry to hear good news. They are they're angry. They're angry when you say, thankfully, you don't have to worry about your 12 year old. Isn't that wonderful? They get angry at you for saying that. Uh, yes, because
1: they're in the DS scene. And they want to stay in that scene and not go outside of the dungeon. They like yep. the dungeon they're in. They like the power dynamic that's going on. And when you leave the dungeon, you're back to personal responsibility. And that terrifies them.
2: Sorry. And, and, and why, people aren't even happy about the, the I mean, uh, the, the, the vaccine. I mean, uh, right. you know, I'm, I'm not going to get it. My choice, not going to lecture anybody else. But I'm sure it's shit. Not going to allow anyone else to lecture me. Nor am I going to justify my reasons for anybody. I might, with friends, we might have a conversation about it. But, um, you know, if you accept by by their logic, the pro vaccine people, they don't seem to understand what vaccines are anymore. I have never seen the population react to a vaccine this way. I have never seen so many people say, "I'm vaccinated," and I'm just as scared. Right. That you aren't vaccinated. I'm like, do you understand the <laughs> immune response? What is going on here? This has nothing to do with with this virus. It has nothing to do with that. Something far deeper and darker is going it is on here. It is dark.
0: It is dark. People are now dark. saying they don't want to associate with unvaccinated people. And I know I've shared this on the show before, but I uh, my housemate does massage, massage therapist. And now she has people saying, oh, wait. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm only going to go to a massage therapist who's vaccinated because I'm vaccinated. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Cause you're afraid you're going to catch it from someone who is unvaccinated because your vaccine doesn't work, but you can go to a vaccine person who's vaccinated and I guess their vaccine doesn't work. That's why you're going to them or what, what like, it's like, it doesn't make any sense.
1: Cause vaccination is a status symbol and it's a mark of what cult you're in. And I'm only going to deal with well,
3: people in my, I'm only going to associate gonna with, with you if yeah. you
0: made the choice mm-hmm. I made. Yeah. Well, I, made,
3: I, I made a, I made a joke a, a little, uh, a while back where, um, you know, with the CDC saying, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Like, well, you know, according to that, if I'm walking around and I see people with their masks on, I'm going to assume that they're not vaccinated. I'm just going to yell "murderer" at them. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like you're a murderer. No, no, I'm vaccinated. They take your <laughs> fucking mask off. Kind of th- you know, <laughs> right.
0: this is Beverly. If you're still around, could you put up that one image? I just have to put this one up for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. The meme of the guys decide between the two buttons. You know that really popular meme, and it says. uh No, not that one. There we go. Yeah. Karen's right now. And he's deciding between two buttons for anyone who's just listening along, along and not watching. One button says, wear my mask to signal my virtue. And the other button says, remove my mask to show that I'm vaccinated. (laughs) (laughs) Difficult decision. Can
2: I, can I say something? uh, Can I say something about the Karen phenomenon? Yes, please. Uh, It's been bothering me because I haven't been able to talk about it with anybody yet. Um, I watched. I watched Karens become a thing within the past couple of years. I think it's been about two years, maybe that this, this has been a thing. Um, and what I see, people, how I see people analyzing this is very different from the way I see it. Um, and particularly women who object to the Karen meme. The general consensus among those women who object to it seems to be that. Uh, Karen is all about stereotyping women. It's about silencing women. It's about punishing women who have autonomy. It's about punishing women who have opinions. It's about punishing women who will not um, stand for being mistreated. That seems to be the way a lot of them see it. I don't see it that way. What I see, when I see people calling somebody a Karen, and of course, there's a whole bunch of people out there. There are sexist people. There are uh, douchebag guys who will take any chance to take a pot shot at a woman. I know they exist. I see them. But they're not nearly as numerous as, as a lot of these people claim. When I see Karen behavior, like actual Karen behavior, um, I generally see, I don't see this as a stereotype about women. It's not saying that women are bitches. It's, it's, it's an acknowledgement of a subset of people who are fundamentally bitches, right? It's about busybodies. Karen is just a name for a busybody. Right, a busybody, an overbearing person, somebody right. who, you know, tries to put herself in a position of authority or tries to, tries to get somebody fired from a menial service job. You know, I'm going to talk to your manager. Da 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 da. You know, this behavior that I see out there, I, I, I just don't understand why people cannot distinguish between. um because like, I, I feel like when, when I see women say this, you know, this is, this is just telling women to be silent. I look at the behavior that's being called Karenism, and I'm saying, but this isn't behavior that you would ever engage in, <laughs> right? You're not that kind of person. This is not a good person we're looking at here. This is somebody who has real social interaction problems. And frankly, the real Karens, yeah, I think a lot of them are borderlines. I think a lot of them are narcissists clinically so and and i'm like but but you all you all aren't that so what why does this feel why do you want to put your arms around the karens and say this is this is we're all standing in sisterhood when they're behaving in a way that you would never call good behavior has anyone else noticed that
1: yeah Yeah, but it's because the karens were on their side with respect to masks so the term karen was around before masks Busy bodies were always, and by the way, I used the term Karen regardless of the gender of the person's behavior. I think guys can be Karens. Um, but K- Karens were around. I think they rushed to the defense of Karens and started trying to appropriate the term and misuse it precisely when, um, precisely when, when people that were against mask mandates started to complain about mask Karens. That's when they did it. So it's not about now, I don't think it's about not understanding it. I, they know exactly what it is,
3: but they don't care because they're on their side. OK, I, I had a uh, um, uh, I, I had a post on Instagram that was tagged as uh, as as hate speech. So um, it's not the first time I've been I've had a post tagged as hate speech. And all it was <laughs> it, it, it and I, I have it in front of me, so I'll just read it. I say uh, women of color are just as capable of being annoying as white women. If you think Karens aren't diverse, then you're a racist. <laughs> <laughs> and that was flagged as hate speech and removed from what? Instagram. But meanwhile, I mean, I, I, this is the definition of inclusion. You know, yes! this is me being inclusive. Like everybody, you could all be a Karen, you know? Yeah,
0: that's not allowed. Oh my yeah. God, it's an upside down world. It really is. It's... Yeah. Everything is we we've we've reached this hyper uh, absurd part of reality now where it just it is everything is upside down. I was trying to make a meme about and I I, I, did, I did make one. I'm not a good artist, but I tried making one. It's about diversity, inclusion, and equity, and I had sort of a play on 1984. All the things that are backwards, and I was going to do three of them, like you know, um, uh, slavery is freedom or wars peace and. I was going to do three, but there are so many of them. It's like racism is anti-racism. Discrimination is equality. Illiberalism is liberalism. And, you know, it's just upside down. There's too many of them. It's a weird time of history. Look, I know
1: a a lot of regular people looked at the crazy 4chan kids and said, oh, like, they're just weird and they're they're crazy with their clown memes. But that's why they call it a clown world. That's yes. why they've been calling it a clown world. They saw many of them, and I'm not saying they don't have other problems with their belief systems. A lot of them, but they a lot of people have seen this for what it is, and it's why it's called the clown world. And it's you know I think once you see it as a clown world, it's really hard to. I mean, my, one of the questions I've got is. I've dealt with people with borderline before, and as, as you said, Josh earlier, probably most people have. But I was someone I knew had borderline, right? Um, and a few other personality uh, disorders uh, throughout my life. Other people, I've never successfully dealt with a borderline personality. <laughs> like, someone no one has. What the hell we do? What do we <laughs> do with these people? Like, you can't. There's no success in
2: in interaction with these people.
0: I know
2: what Josh's answer is, I think. What's your answer? Uh, The answer is not anything that anyone watching this is going to want to hear, right? That's a great answer. Let's hear it. Um, You're not going to have success if you've got a cluster B in your life, a borderline, a narcissist. The histrionics, I think the histrionics are probably the easiest to deal with, in my experience, although they can be very tedious and very wearing, they're not usually, if they're just just a histrionic and not anything else, they're not usually as malicious, as devious, as, you know, or, or, yeah. or a straight up psychopath, right? You're, you're not going to be the person who who helps that person to change. It's very, very, very difficult. That's why I, you know, and I say it over and over again, it's not, you know, like when people talk, well, you know, they have a mental illness. Well, yeah, but not the way you mean, right? Yeah. What you mean, and I say you generally, what we generally mean when we talk about mental illness, these are the things that are called up to people's minds. Clinical depression, severe unregulated anxiety, uh, or things like uh, bipolar, manic depression, or schizophrenia, uh, where, it, and, and schizophrenia, by the way, is the only one where the person is consistently, or or a lot of the time, actually, what, what is clinically called psychotic, right? They're actually out of touch with reality. They may see people who are not there. They may weave plots in their head that are so Baroque that have nothing to do with reality, right? The rest of these people aren't insane or psychotic consistently that way. Um, but we've all known people who deal with depression, unregulated anxiety. Most of the time, we can see that there's a person there, the better parts of their personality can sometimes get swamped by a depressive episode or a bout of anxiety. But generally speaking, they're they're fairly normal to interact with. It's not the case with cluster Bs. It's much deeper. And the only thing I know of is... um. You know, you either have to understand that you're always going to have broken interactions with that person. And if you can get to the place where that does not emotionally affect you very much, then more power to you. But for most of us, it's impossible. And the only way I know of to deal with this is to cut people out of your life, put up boundaries. Well, what if they do you can do be helped, society be you. is
1: like that, though. I mean, what do you do yeah. when you've got a society full of cluster Bs? You can't cut them out. I mean, you could secede which I'd well, love to hear. <laughs>
0: love
1: it's kind of what I you talk know.
0: about, Carter. I mean, you've talked about social ostracization and how I think that's different than cancel culture. Cancel culture is trying to make sure nobody else can socialize with that person either or frequent their business. So it's trying to you know, uh, take a person down. It's not just choosing not to associate with them or frequent their business, which is what you've talked about. And I think that that's kind of on a large scale... I don't know if I agree with it. I might. I have to think about it more. But I think what Josh is saying is, that if everybody did that, you would st- these people would start to be instead of getting validation and feedback online, they would receive social, you know, ostracization. People would stop hanging out with them.
2: I have a trouble saying that word, ostracization.
1: It's a weird <laughs> word.
2: And, I think and, the know, only I- thing that we can do, all of us, right? This we can only control to some extent our own lives, right? I Okay, if you're, if you're asking, do I have any hope that there will be a societal or cultural level understanding of this and a change? No, I have zero hope of that. Zero. Okay. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. If it's going to happen at all, the only way, it all has to start in the same place. Your personal relationships and your business relationships, there's nothing you can do to foresee every cluster B who may come into your life, who might be an employee that you have to work with, or you can't control all of those things. But to the extent that you can control who you come into contact with, recognizing somebody who is 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 cluster B personality disordered, then you have to make a decision that you're not gonna have an intimate relationship with that person, they're gonna be held at arm's length. And if you absolutely cannot get away from them because they're, they also work in the same company you do, you have to do your best to keep them at a distance in that relationship. But if we all started focusing on on drawing boundaries and and recognizing, because a lot of us are caught up with cluster Bs, we don't actually know what's wrong with them. A lot of people really do believe that that one friend who every boyfriend he ever had was terrible to him, Every job he ever had, his boss was a bastard. Every apartment he ever rented, his landlord stole his money. There are a lot of us out there who believe these people. We think that these people actually are that one rare example where they are the best person in the world. It's everybody else and they have terrible bad luck. It isn't true. No. If you have that person in your life, the problem is that person. Get them out of your life.
3: Yeah, they think that it's like a modern day job. It's like I'm telling you, Yahweh is is testing me, <laughs> and he just keeps sending the worst and worst people. And you know, it's, I, it's, I, th- I I think you know, you you when we were talking about the you know the Karen stuff, and you know the reality that there are people out there who are bitches and uh, male and female, and who are who are exhibiting behaviors that no one in their right mind would tolerate. You know, they and. I really think it's important for, you know, I mean, there's only so much you could do on a societal level, but as individuals, it's really important to to say, look, if I were if I were in a relationship with someone, there's certain behavior that I would not put up with. You know, uh, for example, if if my you know, if my partner was coming home every day and taking a dump in the middle of our living room floor (laughs) I would not put up with that. You know, I, I don't care if they're if they're depressed. I don't care if they're drunk. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, so don't do it for a homeless person. Don't say, well, you know, they're homeless. So, you know, they, they're they really down and out and they don't really have a choice. So they got a crap on the sidewalk. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Those pro- those problems don't don't have to they don't have to be interlocked, you know. We can take care of you know them being down and out. We can take care of all this stuff, but stop shitting on my block. It's not a porta it's it's not a porta John. it's not a bathroom, you know yeah, yeah, this is yeah. one of the problems I have with and you know
1: topic for another day uh as Josh said, it's beyond the scope of this conversation, but one of the have the problems I have with with assigning um personality disorders isn't necessarily that it like, I think the categorization is accurate. Like I I get that there's empirical like, okay, we categorize this behavior in this way and like that, that's a valid thing to do, but the package deal that comes with that is, and therefore you must be tolerant of such behavior because they have a thing and that package deal is false. Yes. Maybe they do have a thing. You do not have to tolerate that thing at all.
4: No, that's exactly, and, and that's, that's exactly what Josh right. says, and yeah. that's
2: exactly why. That is exactly I. I mean, I spent my entire life, you know, I, you guys, we wouldn't even like you wouldn't, we wouldn't have come across each other before my life changed significantly five or six years ago. I spent my entire life unaware of this and mentally enslaved. I don't mean to sound over-the-top, but mentally enslaved to my mother's severe psychopathology. It affected every single aspect of my life, um, my own ability to regulate my temper and my emotions, my own ability to, uh, to, di- to distinguish between friend and foe, the numerous times that I allowed myself to be financially exploited by, f- by dependent friends and by my mother I mean, I'm swimming, I'm still swimming in debt because of, of, of what I did, you know, for my mother. I made terrible choices. Um, and it was because I was in that mindset that, well, people like this are only victims, right? The only proper response is to feel sorry for them and to say they can't do what I can do. So therefore I have to pick up their slack. And I think there's a really good question that that you could talk about endlessly, whether it's fair to characterize such people as can't or unwilling to. Yes. Right? Yeah. Is that you channeling your Thomas Zazz? But yeah. I have to (laughs) jump in. We don't have to put up with that.
0: Lou has uh, an appointment he has to make. So we're going to have to say goodbye. And I'm going to have to take off pretty soon after that anyway, myself. But Lou Perez, thank you so much for being with us here today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. You guys are awesome. I really appreciate this. Tell people people can find you
0: at The Lou Perez.
3: Yep. The Lou Perez on all social media. I have a website, thelouperez.com. And uh, for anybody out there who's on Locals, um, uh, you can join the Lou Perez community over on Locals.com.
0: Is that like FetLife?
3: Cool. Um I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to make it like Fet Life. Fet that life, life for Dave Rubin. Yeah. It, <laughs> the, the great thing is with a ball gag I can still type. So on <laughs> <sure. That's awful. laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for that image, Lou.
1: Um, Thank you, sir. Yeah. No, thanks Thank for you. coming.
0: Really uh, I also need to apologize to Square Inch and others in the chat for trying to say uh, ostracization when I could have just said ostracism (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, someone challenged me to say anonymity, which I've got that nailed now. I've been working on it. So there we go. And, uh, I just wanted to say hi to Lisa who it always surprises me when there's somebody I know like in my real life who's in chat. I'm like, wait, what? Hey, anyway, hi Lisa. And, um, we got some really nice comments during this discussion. I really enjoyed this discussion. Um, Josh, one of the comments, there's been a couple more about your show. And then there's one from live free who says my soul is hungry for this kind of intellectually honest, authentic discussion. So needed in our country. Thank you. And thank you live free for the super chat. And I mean, that's when date, when coffee break goes well, I think it's when we have, passionate authentic discussions we don't have to agree with each other sometimes we do more than others but you can disagree and we don't do enough of that anymore so i like it when it goes like that it goes well anyway
1: well i'm not i'm not gonna i know you've got a bail but i want to read some super chats and yeah uh, i can hang around it, for some super if, chats if Josh and I wants to hang around some of them might be about stuff you
2: know, I don't know what your schedule is, but I'm going to, we have a lot. I'd like to hang around. I, I, are you, my God? Uh, Well, I mean, I feel the same way the commenters do. I mean, this is the kind of conversation that it's like an oasis in a desert. You know, it seems hard to find anymore. So I'm very grateful to be able to talk to you guys. Well, Marie Busky said,
0: bitch comes in all colors, religions, and genders. That's hate speech, Marie. Um, Lee told us. Wait, he doesn't means- she have to... Isn't she the
2: swear jar lady? She, she is. is. Okay, yeah. then she needs to put some of her New Zealand... I don't know what do they call them, New Zealish, in there. She...
1: I. I can, can I, I call... I wanted to myself. read that one only so, I, so I'm going to comment on it. Sorry. I just want to say something to... No, that's okay. I. The only thing I wanted to say was, Marie just sent me a bunch of chocolate from New Zealand, so she can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned... Marie is awesome. She gave a pass on the swear. and thank you, okay. Marie.
0: <laughs> okay, Braggart, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I <laughs> You know, I saw something funny on Twitter, Matt Walsh, you know, he's a conservative commentator and his wife yeah. is on Twitter and she posted something really positive. Just, I like it when people post positive stuff on social media about what's going on in their life. Like it's, you should express joy and gratitude. It helps you. It helps your mood. It helps elevate your mood and you should share it with others so we can celebrate with you and it, ele- it should elevate your mood unless you're disordered to see somebody else doing well. And, um, Anyway, Matt Walsh's wife posted something about how many years they've been married. And it was just a a grateful post about their marriage and their relationship. And some jerk comes along and is like, all the in real life friends I have who feel a need to brag and boast about the relationship online, it doesn't usually end well. Uh, The best relationships (laughs) are kept private. And quiet. And and it's like, dude, like oh, you don't understand yes, what real
1: life friends? Wow. That's
0: what Matt Walsh said. I refuse to oh. believe you have any friends. <laughs> 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 but I just thought that person doesn't understand the difference between boasting and bragging, which is kind of a a self-congratulatory thing, and and gratitude. Probably because they're miserable. So they confuse the two. They don't understand the difference. Like expressions of gratitude versus Right. Me, me, me. Look at me.
1: Which you usually want to, you know, you usually want to typically, although I know in the world of social media, this is the opposite, but typically you want to criticize in private and praise in public. So the kind of things that you do want the world to see are tweets like, I love my wife and my life. Thank you. (laughs) Because you want everyone to know that you think this person is awesome. That's a nice thing to do for something. like, that's what gratitude looks like. Gratitude is more public or should be than you know you smell funny well, and i hate your twitter profile like that's
2: that that should be a private dm well maybe i mean if, to be uncharacteristically charitable for a moment <laughs> um maybe the person Ooh. who said that um you know i i think we're all caught up in this um we, we are in such a, we're in an, an emotional economy on social media and in the social woke left. And there's a lot of, of, of knockoffs, right? There's a lot of substitutes and counterfeits for real emotions, real gratitude. And maybe, you know, maybe that person is perceiving that, you know, they see so much um, insincere bragging. Yeah, bragging that's that that's that's disguised as oh, you know, I'm grateful for my life but is really about, you know, my humble life brags. is better than yours. Um yep. I mean, he's probably just a mean person anyway, but I mean Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's like projecting. Yeah. They don't they don't understand what an expression of joy or gratitude feels like because it, when they do it it is humble bragging or whatever, it is some kind of like getting one over on others, I'm better than you. I think but it's projection. Are, Josh is
1: right, there is actually quite a lot of that. Like
0: Yeah. <laughs> Most
1: Instagram feeds are, and Facebook feeds are, look how great my life is. But it's said in a way where you're not actually saying those words. You're like, you know, I'm so grateful to be here in Maui sipping Mai Tais with this awesome person. Thank you, awesome person. It's like, oh,
0: have you're you bragging about a... your
1: Maui vacation.
0: No, but <laughs> like, have you ever considered that person is really grateful to be in Maui? Sure.
2: That, that does it's happen. It's to but... tell. It's harder to tell these days because there's so much, there's so much noise in the signal, right? That, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm pretty sure, oh, I'm just reading somebody's super chat who happens to be in my same town. You can read it out loud. Okay. Big ugly clowno says, oh, I don't think you're ugly, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you're in burlington let's get a beer or coffee sometime you're on uh email me the uh can i say my show's website yeah 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 please uh disaffected.fm uh send me an email i'd love to have a i'd love to have a beer or coffee with you thank you but you
0: know i think you should assume good faith carter that, that person is expressing deep gratitude at being in maui at that moment and maybe they've had a trying year and it's well, like Well, everything's in I, I know that it's I know. Right. So yeah. if you
1: see a, if you see a feed that's constantly that and you know them and you know that, like, they just got divorced and they're struggling with it, like, you, oh, yeah, you can see feeds that are clearly just creation. It's it's creation of an alternate persona. Right. And so those yeah. feeds are actually quite common. And I think, frankly, they're uh, the plurality. They're a plurality of feeds. Uh, so,
2: you know, I, the ones I'm I don't Josh, like
1: that, like. Maybe this guy was interpreting the Matt Walsh thing as that, and he doesn't know, right?
0: This became so common, and I I can't stand it. And my my fiancé can't stand it either. We bonded over hating this. I hate when people say, this is the definition of humble bragging to me. If somebody is about to tell you about something that they're proud of and that they worked hard on or they accomplished or whatever, and instead of just saying that and saying, I did this thing and I'm so proud of it, they go, I did a thing. They like belittle. It's this fake belittling. I did a thing. And then they include a link to their new album or their book or whatever. And it's like, you didn't do it. Shut up. Tell us. I'm so excited. I wrote a book or like, <laughs> like, yeah, guys, but I, think, I did like, you I, know, I'm going to
1: defend that a for, for a minute. I'm going to defend that for a minute. I don't think that's humble bragging because I've really? done that. And, it, and I can tell you, I can tell you why I've done that. I can tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from, it comes from low self-esteem and I'm embarrassed about the work product and I'm not sure it's good. And so I don't want to promote it because I'm not, I'm not confident enough about the work product to say I'm proud of this. And so I'm like, I did this, like, I'm kind of, I am i haven't done it in a while, but like I've, I've, I've did this and I kind of want feedback because I don't know, I don't have the confidence enough to to be proud of this thing. Right. So but that's not necessarily humble say,
0: this is my attempt at, I, bet, I I know I've written some posts before, like, this is my attempt to, because I'm, that's that sort of self-confidence thing of like, I was trying to articulate this well, maybe I didn't, but here's my essay. Sure, but, but some
1: people just write, I did a thing, and like, gross. like
2: <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. Do you, do you, do you, Carter, I think, I, 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 I was, oh my God, I almost said, I identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of phrases. It's my lived oh. experience, Josh. <laughs> But, but I, I, no, that is, that is actually familiar to me. Um, and, I, and I think that has to be the case for a lot of people. Um, the humble, a lot of the people, a lot of the people that we, we find tedious, we find to be braggarts, we find to be shallow. They may be all of those things, but underneath it, and it, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we have to tolerate all the ways they behave toward other people. But in terms of, it's like that, when I tried to explain the difference on one of my shows between sympathy and empathy, if you think of empathy as being, uh, not having the overtones of sympathy and a moral obligation to perform emotion for somebody, but but thinking of sympathy, empathy, excuse me, as actual understanding, underneath that, the majority of these people really are terribly frightened of of who they are of, of their work product, of their creative product, they are actually insecure, yeah. um, and and that that insecurity sometimes manifests itself in very antisocial behavior, very emotionally aggressive behavior, but underneath that, you know, there there is a lot of insecurity, and I wonder also, we are so <clears throat> we are so likely to be criticized in a cruel way and in a mocking way on social media that I wonder if people are just merely often very tentative. They they're they're, maybe they're trying to pre-defend themselves against the flack that they think they're going to get.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. It's because if they said I did this thing that I'm proud of there, they would be suddenly worried about people like, the criticisms coming in that they they expect from social media. And it would be like, why are you proud of this? This sucks, blah, 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 blah. But if it's just, I did a thing, I'm not making a statement about whether it's good or bad. And so I'm kind of preemptively,
2: you don't have to tell me it's bad because I didn't say it was good. <laughs> like, yeah, just, yeah. Right? And, but but it's also a problem. I mean, because I've done this, I know I've done this, and I'll probably do it again. But the, the reality is when I'm doing that, um. The reason I'm, the reason I'm even talking about it on social media is I am hoping to get a little bit of validation, right? I am hoping for somebody to say, this is a good essay, or this was a good episode. Um, You know, and, and I think we need to be aware of why we do these things, because if I feel like I need that validation, there's a question there for me, right? If you feel that you need that, why aren't you giving it to yourself? I mean, this is a question I ask myself, right? Like, why are you going on Twitter? Mm-hmm. and saying this because you're hoping that people will say mm-hmm. good job yeah why do you need that from right. them yeah i think it's worth asking
0: i think yeah. i think people just need to get better at. maybe it's just that it's a phrase that gets repeated a lot and it bothers me the way asking for a friend bothers me or the way uh, moist the word moist bothers it just braces <laughs> me out i like
1: the word moist i'm gonna <laughs> it's
0: disgusting
1: plant a flag right there
0: <laughs> i'm <laughs> fine with the word moist oh if somebody really wants to get under it's like uh uh I did a thing asking for a friend about this moist thing I did. Whatever. You can put those all together. It's just the grossest statement <laughs> ever. <laughs> but, but I feel like. This moist thing <laughs> I, did. I did.
2: What fucking I did. moist thing did you do? I did a thing. <laughs>
0: <Sorry>. <laughs> asking for a friend if you like it. I'm asking for a friend if you like it. Anyway, just say, I'm asking for me. Just say like, so quit hiding behind these things. That's how I feel. And, and so I guess when I started trying to be more um, when Jordan Peterson helped me change my life in a lot of ways, I started trying to be more authentic and real in every single word that I utter and meaning he talked about how, like you can lie when you say something that's not your opinion. When you speak somebody else's opinion, that's a form of lying because you haven't actually done the work to hold that opinion. You're just speaking what you heard somebody else say, and you just assumed it as your own without having read that thing or watched that thing or, you know, studied that thing. And, um, and so sometimes those things that become repeated phrases, I guess I pay attention to those a lot because I, I want to say, like, what is that a shorthand for? And so if I'm feeling, I guess I would just, like, when I post something, I would sort of be like, like I said, I tried to write this in a way that is understandable. I hope you enjoy it. Or whatever. Like, Or sure. tell me, give me feedback. Or but sometimes of you're saying, making
1: assumptions about what the shorthand means for other people. Right. It's not what it would mean for you, right? right? That's all.
0: Yeah. Anyway.
1: So, but...
0: <laughs> Asking for a friend. Ooh, that bothers me too. Okay, I'll stop giving my list of. I think part of the reason that some
1: of this stuff bothers you is that you're online a lot and you see it a lot. And so, for people like me who aren't online very much, sometimes I'll see a phrase and I'll think it's brand new. Like I, I'm like, oh, that that's not a thing that's said all the time. But for other people, it's all the time said. Right. So
0: all the time said.
1: Right. So it's just it's just a. it's just different context of knowledge, um, mm-hmm. but I'll try not to use that one ever. Though I won't, <laughs> I won't point back, I won't no. post about moist mean, things, asking for friends or doing oh, a thing. I'll yeah, avoid that it,
2: because there's a there's a whole there's a whole staple of these stock phrases that do get really wearing if you see them day after day. Like the one that drives me up the wall right now is how it started, how it's going. Oh and, yeah, 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 I'm just like, please don't ever ever type that again. You know uh, that one, or um, I don't know who, who needs to hear this, but
4: oh,
0: I right? hate that one. That one's so over- yeah. Uh, it's it just I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just how many times you've heard that thing. But but the in particular humble bragging. That's what I think of is I did a thing and and it's like this amazing album or whatever. Shut uh, up. Just I, say I did this I, album. When I think
1: of humble bragging, it's different. It's like uh Yeah, it's the girl posting from like, I'm so grateful to be in Maui sipping my, like, that's like a humble. That's funny
0: because that would totally be the kind of post I would do in sincere gratitude and you would be judging me the same way I'm judging your I did a thing post. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah um so and by the way this is a pet peeve i know you don't share carrie i don't know like but i don't like when people accept awards and they say i'm humbled to get this award that bothers me to no end you are not humbled to get the award you are proud to get the award that's why like the award makes you feel good you're proud of it that you're getting an award awards don't make you feel humble that's not what that emotion is you're not humbled okay. by an award.
0: We've already argued about this before. And you know I disagree with I know, with you but that's my thing.
1: Th- that's my thing. Right.
0: Some people are humbled by it because the idea, it's like that magnet that says, I want to be the person my dog thinks I am. It's like my dog has such a great opinion of me and it does humble me. Yeah, but me. why
1: would you feel humbled that that turns out to be right? Like why are you humbled that no, the dog likes you so it's much? it's
0: like I can't live up to this thing that you believe of me. Yes. Yeah.
2: I wonder I wonder if this is particular to um well, I mean to, to people's individual personalities and, and past experiences. Because I wonder if I mean there is humble bragging. I know exactly what you mean, Carter, those people who get especially at award shows like the Golden Globes and the Oscars. Oh and right. Stuff. I mean it's so but but I think that there are probably some people, there there may be some people out there who are um Like, you know, I've won awards or I've been asked to come up to, you know, the front of the room and be recognized for something. And, of course, it's it's you know, it's it's very flattering. But um, I'm a pretty bold and confident person. But there's a side of me that isn't. And I am I often feel incredibly embarrassed and under the microscope and nervous and not like, I'm not going to live up. I'm like, I don't deserve this, right? And I don't mean that in this sort of like, I don't deserve this. Right. <laughs> but, you just, but, but, it, but it's a personal insecurity inside. I can get very, very uncomfortable with, with big compliments or, or, or big awards. But at the same time, it's also true that I want people to like my work. I want people to think I'm funny. I want people to think that I'm smart. I want people to think I'm a good show host. Right. So I want those things. But then when I get them, I feel like I could crawl inside of a tin can and not have anyone look at me. So I can I I want to comment on this is because this is I'm just realizing something
1: about my own personality, which is contradictory to like these two things are the the same. I hate being complimented. I really hate it. I don't I like it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me awkward. Like, I don't like it. Uh, When my wife wants to troll me, she'll say nice things about me and I'll be like, shut up. Right, Uh, like I don't like it, Um, and I know I'm not saying that's healthy. That's and I can guess where that came from in my childhood. So if we can put that on the shelf for a minute, but I would never get an award and say I feel humbled by it. And so, like, no, I wouldn't either.
2: So, okay, because that sounds really. I would never say something like that. Well, because it would be, it's 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 smarmy. It's it's.
4: it's, yeah. In, in my be, view, it's, it's what it's what a
2: falsely humble person would say. It is what a vain, mm-hmm. braggadocious person would say. I don't even know if that's a word. It is now. I, I expect that from movie stars, right? And yeah, I, I have a stereotyped view of the kind of personality structure that a typical movie star has, and I'm right. Um, so I know that when they're saying that, they don't actually mean what they're saying. So I don't yeah. want to say something like that because I don't mean to express that. Yeah. It feels gross. And and by well, the way, I when I think of you, a word both is, I'm of thinking there, of
0: Wait, 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 no, wait, wait, wait. I I, I agree with both of you there, but uh, those people are mimicking people who are sincere or they have they okay. like there's a difference between you don't know a person's sincerity about words or not some people use the word humble without thinking about what it means because they hear other people use it some people do instagram posts about gratitude and they've never given a thought to what gratitude means they've never even dwelled on it it's just a word that they say it's just like a lot of words for social justice warriors are tools for manipulation rather than tools for expressing yourself in the best way possible for greatest understanding so it, that's all. Like I, I, I. When I see award I shows, yeah. oh yeah, when I see award word I mean those are actors, of course. Most, of, most of those people read as false to me, but there are others who don't. Sometimes someone read like Bernie Sanders reads as sincere to me. He does not read as sincere to Carter, but he reads as sincere to me, and that matters a lot. Like I think, I think he is a sincere person. If he were to go up and say this humbled me, I would, I would believe him.
2: I wouldn't. Anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Yeah.
0: YouTube says
2: I am humble to receive this moist award.
1: <laughs> I, I couldn't help but put that on screen. Sorry, I had to do that. I, you know it's so funny <laughs> you should
2: say that because I was just thinking that I was moistened to have this humble award. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think Whoa. might be closer to the that's truth the for TMI some we didn't want. You're moistened. Do you
0: used to did you guys used to keep a list of all the words that bothered you? Like or
2: phrases. I'm not like actually that. bothered by words, so no.
0: Like the sounds of certain words don't bother you at all. No. Okay.
2: Anyway. I keep mental lists of them. I, okay. I don't actually write them down, but yeah. you know, because that because it's constantly changing. Our lexicon uh, changes so much. The one that's currently bothering me right now is is um, dunking on. Oh. Uh, hmm. Right, and it it bothers me because you. you it's it's you're watching a bunch of adults on social media, who who are very clearly trying to keep up with the youth speak as it comes out. So these yeah. are the same people who instantly, like overnight, a year ago, started to describe um, criticism of another person as dragging them right. Mm, I and never
1: then, heard yes. that one.
2: And okay. then when dunking came dragging. along, it was like overnight you're dunking on you're dunking on and then when i see like a, a an ostensibly serious grown up like well known national news correspondent who's not you know obviously problematic in some way it was like you know and and we were noticing this thing online and there was all this dunking on it and i'm like do you listen to yourself it just right. it just it sounds like it's i'm being on brand i'm being au current, you know
0: mm-hmm. i'm saying
4: this because mm-hmm. i want
2: the youth to hear me yes yeah
0: yeah <laughs> It is, it the
1: younglings can well, I'm, I'm fitting in with the younglings yeah i, I want to clarify when you said i like words do you have words that you don't like i mean aesthetically i don't have words that i don't like i do have obviously there's misuse of terms and phraseology that i detest that people use sometimes but that's a that's because i'm pushing back on what i'm viewing as the misuse or um or in weaponization of language in, in bad ways, it's not an aesthetic. Your reaction to moist is aesthetic, right? It's not the meaning that bothers you. It's the aesthetics of it. Correct? For me. Yes.
0: It's the aesthetics. Like Marie just said the word flaps gross. That's also (laughs) great.
1: Right. And I don't have an, I don't have negative (laughs) aesthetic reactions towards
2: it. You don't like flaps either. (laughs) Are you sure? Are you sure that that's an aesthetic reaction or might it have something to do with some meaning you might be thinking of?
0: Um, I don't know. It's certain consonants. I think uh, somebody earlier said that if you there's a study or something about how women don't like the word moist. It's a it's a gender thing. I don't know. That's weird. Um, and this is this is not a super chat, but uh, somebody said this to you, Carter. They said sincerity Uh-oh. met with skepticism is cynicism.
1: Sincerity met with skepticism
0: is cynicism.
1: Why isn't it just skepticism? I'm not, I'm not sure I understand. Authent- basically, what I'm hearing is authentic skepticism is not skepticism, but cynicism. I don't think I don't agree with that statement. Okay. I don't understand. I don't actually understand it. So maybe the point needs to be expanded upon. I don't know. Um,
0: oh, i got to take a quick break. I'm not leaving quite yet. But if you want to do super chats,
1: I'll do a couple I'll super be... chats. If, and, okay. You know, Josh and I will bang through some super chats. Okay. Uh, I th- Adam, we might have already done some of these, but I, I hope not. Uh, I'll Fight You Naked said, I'm waiting for the asteroid impact wistfully. That's dark, but I like you anyway. Um, Holly S. said, I've never watched an unsafe space that I wasn't glued to. This is no exception. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. Uh, I think we already did bring back bullying. Uh, Exia Valens says, tap into unsafe space. It makes you a better person. I'd love for that to be true, and I would use it as marketing, but I'm not. Sure that that's true. Thomas St. Thomas says, Our my, our inhibitions of part are part of who I am. Being intoxicated can reveal some things we're thinking or feeling, but it's not truly us, right? I agree with that, because I think we all have shadow selves, and who we are is much more of a function of our behavior than it is of what our thoughts are. Josh, what do you think? Oh,
2: I think that's worth thinking through. Um, it's... <clears throat> I guess it. Well, it. It's the, the question underneath that. I think is what. What is. What is us? What is character? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, is it. Is it what we think? Is it what we do? Is it the relationship between what we think and what we do? I don't. I. I, I don't know. It's. You know, people. I'm undecided on this. I go back and forth myself. But one of the things. One of the things that I talk about a lot on my show, and that I talk about a lot because I talk about cluster B a lot, I'm the guy who talks about that a lot, Um, is uh, you know, there's a, a strong part of me that 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 wants to rehabilitate the concept of bad people. Yes, that that very thing that that people don't want to be true. I think I want I want people to think about it. I want them to reconsider. Whether they're really sure that there's no such thing as a bad person, right? Because people want to say, oh. you know, um, well, you know, it's not that they're a bad person; it's that this thing happened to them, and they have this psychological defense, and it comes out this way. They can't help what happened to them, et cetera, et cetera. In a it's sense, deterministic that's, in some way, right? But on the other hand, we seem to be getting into very, very fine shades of meaning right? Like, and I wrestle with this in my head when I think about my mother, because my mother is the genesis of my entire um, point of view on this. It was my experience having the family that I had and my mother's very severe psychopathology that, thank God, I woke up to um, that, that changed not just my family life, but my, really my, my whole perspective. And I spent most of my life defending my mother against uh people who said that she was inadequate or she wasn't treating her children well i felt very protective and very defensive and i would say you know she's got terrible anxiety she's got terrible depression she's this that and the other thing and i did it for so long and i did it even when she was doing things that were flagrantly abusive you know and i kind of think you know my mother has a lot of problems and she was abused as a child herself her parents were 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 quite terrible. But for all intents and purposes, she's a bad person. Right. She's a bad person. You know, good people don't beat their children. Good people don't psychologically torment their children. Good people don't um, literally drive their children. And I I'm one of three children. So it's not that it just happened to me, but good people don't Don't create a psychological atmosphere in a home where a child who is 11 or 12 years old is actually clinically depressed and trying to commit suicide. And good people then don't institutionalize that child in juvenile hall and say, my son is incorrigible. My mother did these things. What am I to think? What are we to think about people like that? How far are we going to go before we're, we're willing to say you're a bad person?
1: I don't know. I, I'm in complete agreement with you. And I think one of the problems that we've got is we've we've decided that in order to be, I don't know if it's to be nice or whatever, but we've decided that we need to withhold judgment. Um, yes. And um, I do think that we need to withhold punishment. Like people can make bad decisions and it's not my job to go be a vigilante and force them to do something different. Um, right. I can remove myself from the situation, but that's different than judging. and. I think when we've, we, there is this, there is this movement, uh, or there's this, yeah, there's this movement to, to, to say you can't ever say someone is a bad person. What does that mean? And, uh, you know, look like everything else. It's not a mannequin thing. It's not good versus evil. It's not this person's all bad or all good. Like maybe your mom was an excellent painter. That's great or whatever, but you know, it's totally rational to look at the totality of someone's behavior and then make a determination based on that totality of, are they generally a bad person? And I view people as largely self-made. So a lot of that question is like, what choices have they made to improve themselves or not? Um, if, they, if they were had trouble earlier or they're bad early on and they continue to improve and made choices, well, you know, that's good for them, that that counts towards their goodness um but if not you got to ask yourself right i think
2: it i think it's tied up with the concept i think it is personal responsibility that's that's at the bottom of this carter i th- um I, I think that people are afraid to judge like this don't be judgy don't be i'm so tired of hearing that i judge all the time and i'm going to keep judging and i think people ought to judge more um yes. i think we need to be careful in our judgments we have to be discerning and we have to be willing to be wrong
0: we all um, make we all make judgments and, and you should, uh, but I think you're right. You, you you have to be careful and you have to, what is Carter sometimes says to me, uh, trust your gut, but verify with evidence <laughs> or listen yeah. to your gut, but verify with evidence because your gut's it's- not always right,
2: but. I think we don't want to hold people because I think people see, you know, well if you can judge him to be a bad person, then what you're saying is he could have chosen to do something better or kinder and he chose not to. Yes, that's yeah, exactly right. what I'm saying. Yeah. I am saying he chose to do a bad thing when he could have chosen to be kind. I do yeah. judge that. I think it scares people in in modern because, times in a that way means that it that didn't they have to, to be responsible.
1: Them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I I think you're in, onto something when you say that it's personal responsibility is kind of gets to the root and the essence of this question. um. And that's depressing to me because I think we are living in a time in which personal responsibility is it has been uh, <laughs> shrugged off uh, on a mass scale and is encouraged and people are being encouraged to.
2: Uh, not accept any personal responsibility.
3: Well, at all. that
2: term itself has been vilified. I have—I said this on my show last week. I have lost friends in part over the use of that term. These are liberal friends, right? They yeah. are allergic, absolutely allergic to the term. And the, and the response that that I would get when I used the term was, "You sound like you've been watching Fox News. You sound like you've turned into a Republican, right?" And these are boogie words for them, right? This, you know, you sound like a bad person is what they're really saying. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and the idea, and I understand this because I spent most of my life being a liberal, a hardcore, well, more than just, not just a classical liberal, but a leftist, you know, victimhood narrative. Everything was about victimhood. Everyone was oppressed. Um, It was always these larger social forces. It was never anything you did yourself. Certainly wasn't anything I ever did myself, Right. Um, everybody needed to be felt sorry for and everyone every every mistake they made had to be laid the responsibility had to be laid at the feet of a larger structure that was more powerful than that person whether it was a political philosophy the welfare state the public education system uh, heteronormativity whatever it is right and when i started to change my mind and and Part of changing my mind, part of part of my waking up to to my mother and to cluster b I mean i when I say this, it was as profound for me as I imagine people mean when they say they have a religious awakening. I'm not a religious person, but it was a profound personal change didn't make me into a perfect person, right, but it changed my perspective almost entirely, and part of Seeing my family and the psychology in my family for what it truly is also meant that I had to see my own psychology in more accurate and bracing terms, right? Yes. And I participated in it and I lived in it and I got emotional validation by acting out and I made some bad choices and I did some bad things.
0: And you took personal responsibility for that. I had you know, this. I had a very similar, as you know, experience with figuring some of that stuff out. And you're right. If you're looking at, if you're looking at that, if you're looking at a situation with clear, clearer eyes, it forces you to also look at yourself with more clear eyes. It's if that's a more clear, clearer eyes. Um, but yeah, often People are there's of it. this.
1: Yeah, I mean. I've talked about this before but mentally often when you're thinking about something you you always get to this point in your thought process of going deeper where you have a choice to evade thinking further about that because it's painful or laborious or whatever or go into the painful laborious thing and continue to consider that thing whatever it is um and i think You know, really the essence of living a conscious life is making that, taking that laborious, painful turn as often as possible in your thought process. So you're really uncovering who you are. And I'll, I'm going to say, I just want to say one thing that, because it's been important to me, um, I know a lot of people when they go into relationships, try and put their best self forward. Um, I stopped doing that. In fact, with my, my wife, when I met her. I immediately tried to tell her the things that were wrong with me. I mean, not, it wasn't like date one, but it was like, look, here's who I am. Like, this is what I think. And this is like my issues. And it means that our relationship started out with like a lot of awareness of what my flaws were and my behavior characteristics. And now, you know, I've got a daughter who's almost 12 and both my wife and my daughter feel totally free to point, point out when I'm doing something that we all know is like, oh, Dad, this is what you're doing or whatever. Sometimes they laugh and mock me for it. uh, And sometimes it's a little more severe and they'll let me cool off and then bring it up later. But, but the family unit is aware of it. And we're aware of each other's personality flaws. And it, it means I'm living in an environment where I can't get away with it. Um, And there's nothing unexpected really in that sense. It's not like, it's not like my wife's going to wake up one day and say like, Oh, you didn't tell me you, I didn't realize you were like that. Like, of course you realized I was like, that. I've, always, I've been like this and I've only been improving through our relationship with you because you've been helping me improve. It's a known weakness. Um, and I think a lot of people are afraid when they start relationships. And I think this is one of the things I think is very valuable about relationships. So it's sad. They're afraid to be their authentic selves and let people know here are the things I'm struggling with. Here's who I am. The only way you're really going to get better often, not the only way, but an easier way to get there is to have other people around you that yeah. support you and love you regardless, and are willing to and like accept that about you and are willing to help you move forward with it. Um, I think it does everyone does yourself a disservice to paint a rosy picture and then fall into a relationship because they're they're in a relationship with who's something that's not you.
0: People are afraid of intimacy, actual intimacy and which yeah. is honesty and showing all of your broken parts to another person and your belly to another person. And so I think this relate goes back to some of that kink stuff we talked about earlier. I think a lot of people are trying to substitute sexual intimacy for emotional intimacy. Yes.
2: Yes. For yeah. genuine and they're like, intimacy. yeah.
0: And it's like, <laughs> I'll do any manner of disgusting, debased, intim- sexually intimate thing with you. But you're never going to see who I am or anything about me. And that's going to be completely, but I'm substitute. They they like try to substitute it for that, but you don't get the same reward.
2: Yeah. And you can't, they're not the same thing. You're not, you're not actually, you can't, I mean, you can act as if you substitute them, but you Mm -hmm. don't get the substitute. Doesn't give you any of the things that the real thing would give you. You're playing an entirely different game. Right. And Mm -hmm. that, and, it's, it's not just kink itself, it's, I would say, it's also uh, promiscuity. Yes. Um, this is a major, major problem with gay male culture. It's not specific, it's not only in gay male culture, but the reality is, gay male culture is fundamentally promiscuous. Um, mm. And it's not just a few gay men, it's most gay men. You are inducted into a world of promiscuity from the time you're a teenager. That is the common experience of gay men, and it is normalized. And I participated in it when I was a young man, and it is all about avoiding actual intimacy, and it's about fear, and it's about not wanting to be actually naked, actually Mm -hmm. naked, actually, if you if you will, in a in a soul way rather than a than a a physical way, right? Um, I understand it. Um, I don't date for some of those reasons, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I can talk about what's broken in society. I can talk about some of the things that are, that are broken about me coming from my background. I don't do it. I do it because I want to illustrate concepts and I want, I want other people to see that, that these are dynamics that you can get a handle on and you can begin to understand why you became the person you became from the family that you came from. But I'm not going to lie and say, I mean, I specifically avoid dating. I don't, I don't do it. I don't want to have that. I don't want to be broken with somebody that way, you know, Mm -hmm. and that may not be optimal, but, but the alternative to that for a lot of people is promiscuity and serial relationships. And you can harm yourself that way too. Don't you think? Oh yeah. And
0: the, and the, Mm -hmm. a lot of what you're talking about uh, as being endemic, is that the word to the gay community? It's being taken and it's been, Pumped, pushed into the uh, uh, strong feminist empowerment female lady world too. That that was happening when I was in college. It's been happening for decades now. Where, uh, and it and it just get it it keeps getting ramped up. Where this this whole idea of um, of substituting physical intimacy for emotional intimacy, the idea that you can uh, detach sex from emotion, and that you should, or that it's ideal, that it's like you know, just going to get uh, your tires changed or whatever, you know, it's like, ah, just an exchange. And I'm a super confident business lady and I'm just going to go do this transaction. And, <laughs> and, and that's the way it's sold to you though, is that that's ideal. And that you should look at sex that way. And I know women, when I was, when I was in third wave feminism and I was in a young SJW, Um, there was all this talk about, you know, sex positivity and, um, and you know, what's weird about it now is, is some, someone on the outside of that and looking back at it, it's, it's almost as if saying you should, uh, because, because of the patriarchy, something it's like, because of the patriarchy, women haven't been able to fully express their promiscuity and their, um. Um, to to trivializing sexual encounters and that we should therefore become more like men in this way. And it, which is weird. It's like men do this. Let's do this too. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know if I'm articulating that well. Does that make sense? No, you are.
1: Can I, I want to push back just a little bit because I was in the sex positive movement. And the fact is that there were married women who were monogamous their entire lives in their sixties, who never had an orgasm because they were, uh, taught to be ashamed of their bodies to uh that sex was an evil sinful horrible thing that was only done uh to please the husband and that you weren't supposed to get anything out of it and so i there was there are legitimate pushbacks to the sexual dynamics of yesteryear i do think i will agree with you guys that i think what's we've gone in the direction where uh like everything i think there's 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 you need to have a mental balance sheet with what you're doing and why there's risks and trade-offs and there are good things and bad things about having a relationship with someone sexual or otherwise and there are long-term consequences to your psychology and so i i think a healthy approach is to learn that those things need to be taken into account and i think we've kind of trashed Taking anything into account and just gone total hedonism and said, well, whatever feels good now, just go do that. That's what's empowering. And that ultimately isn't empowering. And it doesn't mean that you also need to never have an orgasm in <laughs> your entire life and like and, and and feel bad about sex. But it does mean that you need to be um, you need to recognize there are pluses and minuses to all the choices that you make. And there are learn there can be long-term and psychological consequences to things that you do. And that's things that you and and also things you refrain to do or you that you're afraid of or whatever and so i when i, I as an atheist i look at christianity as being so sexually repressive in many ways that it was on it is unhealthy for especially a lot of women and so i i think there was some naturally productive pushback against that uh but we have gone generally just hedonistic without a care and you can't even bring up
0: well, you that's can't like, even
1: bring up that there are any downsides to this whatsoever, right? And that's that, the problem to me.
0: That that is Very that is thing. just like those saying that women. When, when I'm told that, well, yeah, sex used to be culture used to be sexually repressive for women because there are women in their 60s that were taught X, Y, Z. I agree. Just like there are people in their 60s who grew up in segregated schools, but Generation X did not. I did not. It changed by the time I was growing up that women's attitudes towards women's sexuality and how they could express themselves had changed. I did not grow up in a culture that told me that sex was just for the pleasure of men. I didn't. I, but I was told that's what culture was like. And I was told right, just like course, today, right, just like today, I think, you know, uh, the civil rights movement grew up out of necessity because there was a, the culture was racist and people segregation still existed. And, and uh, black people were treated as inferior by our legal system and judicial system and by culture at large. And, and so, but then by the time we get to Gen X, it's like, we had seen so much progress. And in some ways, I think I'm saying, I'm agreeing with you, Carter. I'm saying, in some ways, I think we're still, re- we're still talking as if culture is like where it was in the fifties. And it's right. yeah. not, it's not there anymore. there it's yeah. not there. We went yeah. way over here. <laughs> You're, uh,
2: that's a really great connection, Carrie. I really, I think you really, I think you found something true there, that connection. And, and what you were saying, Carter, in terms of <clears throat> hedonism. Um, I, I've, you know, I, I've been trying to find a physical analogy to use, I haven't found it yet to illustrate this concept. But it's, it's as if, it's as, okay, imagine a slinky, right, a spring, the slinky spring toy you can pull one end of the slinky and there's a lag between the time you pull one end and the time the wave gets to the other end. And then the wave comes back to you. But we're, I, th- I feel like we're sort of in a leg time before the wave has come back. We're still acting as though this is not a good analogy. I should not try to do this off the top of my head. No, I like it. I see. No, it's you're cultural inertia. It's a, gec- it's an yeah. excellent analogy. That's where we're, we're, talking we're about. acting. Yeah. We're acting as if, um, um, this current obsession that we have that, that, I mean, the idea, I, I said this to a good friend last night and she, I think she thought I i was off my nut because I guess she just doesn't see it in the social circles that she travels in. But we are at the, the idea about racism is I think quite literally people are acting as if it is worse to be a black person in 2021 than it was in 1963 I I really think they are acting that way. And I think the transgender um, activist community is acting that way too. We have Mm -hmm. never been in a time where it is more socially acceptable to be everything from unfettered and free to absolutely disgusting uh, and intrusive. I mean, there are no boundaries anymore. There's no such thing as social propriety anymore, Mm -hmm. but we're acting as if we are still being oppressed by the moral majority and Jerry Falwell in 1980. Yes. It's not true. I mean, right. basically, you have to, for you know, to a close approximation, you have to be a slut these days right, <laughs> to be considered normal.
4: That's
2: right. why we joke but, that the,
0: to be rebel, rebellious now, it's like, well, then you need to go to church and be in monogamous relationship. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, this shouldn't actually, I mean, I'm just learning history now because I didn't learn it well when I was a, in high school, uh, like a lot of people. But... This actually shouldn't surprise us. Um, De Tocqueville talked about this with respect to the French Revolution, why the revolution happened in France, because France actually was the most was already the most liberal of all the monarchies. They had more freedoms, less oppression. They were actually the place that was the best place to be. And yet and yet the the smaller and smaller oppressions were made them angrier and angrier like the better things
2: got the more angry people were about the 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 things that were left off left over Um, does he give us any way to understand why this happens and what to do about it he
1: does with specifically with the french revolution um but i'm actually continuing to read because i'm trying to figure out how to apply it to what we're doing now and i haven't been able to yet but it's a project i'm working on in the back of my mind which i'm happy to discuss but uh yeah he with respect to the french revolution um the problem is his analysis is very very particular to a political revolution in in europe at that time so he's talking about how how property rights were allocated and what people were doing like it's it's very specific to what was going on um but my gut feeling is that there's going to be an analogy here there's maybe something to learn here that is applicable to where we are um but i will say he the tocqueville was not being proscriptive he's just being descriptive and he's looking retroactively at the french revolution so um i don't know that he would say that there is a way to stop it he's just explaining what happened (laughs) like right and and actually in his view and i think there's some legitimacy to this it was a lurch forward that was an overcorrection, but at the end, France ended up better off. Now, it had to kill a bunch of people and went through some crap, which we shouldn't have to do. but like, in the end, it was actually kind of better off, and some of these enlightenment ideas did need to be put out there and, and implemented. It' was just it, it was done, it was done in a really horrible way. And so I you know, the thing that scares me is it's like when people say... Well, Marxism will die because it's fundamentally it can't sustain itself. It's like, yeah, that's true, but it can kill an awful lot it of can people on the us, way down, though. right?
2: <laughs> yes. You know, this can go on for decades.
1: This uh, can, of course, this yeah. can, generations. This easily. can ruin.
2: Yeah. This can ruin our country. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm I'm not as well read in some of the things that you have been reading recently, Carter. Because you know, I listen to you guys all the time, but I think I'm with you. I I think this country is toast in its current form. I would like to think that I'm wrong, but I dare we hope that that after the overcorrection spends itself that that we will end up in a better-than-before place? Because it sure doesn't feel that way. But I don't know if that's just because I'm one little human who has 75 years on this earth at best, and I can only see from where I am.
1: Well, you're yeah. one of the people that I would say when when I look at the arguments that you make and what you've said today about cluster B uh, and just how you talk about the those personality traits, you know, y- your information just makes me feel more comfortable about my assertion that this is irreconcilable differences here because it's not just that they don't want to have a conversation, it's that they, when when you start to look at them as cluster B personality traits and then I start to reflect on my experience with Cluster B people in my life and everyone else's experience, there's no reconciliation that happens. There is no bringing them over from the dark
2: side. Like, right. I, I would imagine that your, your Cluster Bs, whoever they may have been, um, do you know where and who they are today? I mean, are you um, aware of, of where they are and are they any different? I would bet they're not. They, they are not different. They ne- they're never yeah. different. I mean, I, no. I've
1: never seen anyone – I've never seen anyone with any kind of cluster B trait not, like, grow out of it, so to speak. <laughs> never seen that happen.
0: I've seen people with cluster B traits learn to manage it. Like Josh said, he has some – with some traits. I, I should have said that's the, not the disorder, not the trait. The, the yeah. actual full-blown disorder, no. Yeah. The people who live in the disorder, no. My cluster Bs are still cluster Bs, and they don't yeah. do self-reflection. And they don't do okay. – And they don't do that introspection you know, stuff and, and they don't and it's never their fault it's always somebody else's fault and and it's it's
2: it's 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 if you want to be you know part part of part of part of why i'm so strident about this and and uncompromising and and sometimes probably too much so but there is a reason for it and the reason is that um that psychology, whatever you want to call it, but that psychology that I call Cluster B, is so dangerous and it is so destructive. It is it is the worst of humanity. It is the worst mm-hmm. of humanity. I mean, you know, it's it's Hitler in its most extreme form. It's the Soviet Union. Um, it is Marxism. Um, it was it, definitely it, Mao, having read it, about it's Mao. Mao. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) The the thing is, this is not a new thing just because it's a a contemporary clinical modern term. You know, the ancients were writing about people with these with these distorted personalities. This is this is the worst way when humans go wrong. This is the worst way they can go wrong. And it it, it is it is the wellspring of evil in, in the world that we live in. It is it is the word we use to describe human evil. Um, and that doesn't mean that every one of them is as bad as another one, right? It doesn't mean that, but it is all in that category. And what frustrates me, I feel like we're in a system that not only is it going to be hard to stop it, but the system itself is making sure that these these disorders keep getting concretized. When you look at at trans activism, I, the thing that makes me so upset is that the young people and there are there are other things that feed into this. Autism is one of them. Um, it is, but leaving those aside, understanding that those are real, and I'm not denying them just because I'm not featuring them, I'm not saying they're not real. Um, to a close approximation, the current identity that we call being a transgender person is a social whitewashing, and reputational rehabilitation of borderline personality disorder. That is borderline personality disorder. When you have such a distorted and unstable sense of self-image that you literally believe that you were born in the wrong sexed body and that everyone who does not agree with you is your abuser and you live your life this way, this is BPD. What we are seeing is not Trans, it's called borderline personality disorder and sometimes narcissism and sometimes psychopathy. But these young people.
0: I will interject. There are some trans people who don't view everyone who disagrees with them as their abuser. And that's what I've that's a distinction I've made with you before about people that I knew, people I knew who were trans before trans became this huge cultural social contagion and. And before
2: You're, that- you are you are right. Those are, those are a different kind of people, but it but but the the common root is still there. The common root mm-hmm. is trauma, right? Trans identity is, and I do not mean this in a judgmental way. I really really don't. I mean it purely in a descriptive way.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Trans identity is not a natural outgrowth of natural normative human development. It is a trauma no. response. That doesn't mean that 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 you are a bad person. Correct. Um, but it is a trauma response. And so is cluster B, right? So there's a lot of common roots here, but these young people, especially the young people who are being affirmed, who are, you know, the teenagers, many of these teenagers, I would say the majority of them accepting autism, although there is some overlap, it's not the case. It's, you know, you can be autistic and have borderline that occurs too. The best chance that a person has to overcome being a full-blown, fully disordered cluster B is the right kind of trauma-directed therapy when you are young and your personality is still malleable. And what are we doing? We are calcifying personality disorders. We are telling these people because a lot of these kids, even at 14 or 15, you can see incipient borderline personality disorder in them, right? And I feel for these children because these children are abused in some way, shape or form. And what they are told is the cure is actually the poison pill that will make them a cluster B and unlikely to ever change. It's 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 scandalous. It's it's. Sorry, no, it really I, I, exercises me. I,
1: I agree, and I think when you use the word "normal," I think a lot of people get triggered because they think that you mean so there's some like abnormal is immoral. They equate those two, and that's not. Yeah. No, I. That's abnormal, what we're I mean,
2: I mean unhealthy and not in tune with natural development, natural stable development. So
1: here, I I just I want to then I want to point this out a little bit. Just this is my view on it. Um, there are abnormal. Look, I mean, people can be born with six fingers. That's abnormal. You can be born with abnormal characteristics. Yep. Some of those characteristics can be uh, in relation to your your cognitive repertoire. Um, you could be abnormally smart, yep. abnormally dumb, or you could theoretically, and again, I don't know the extent to which these disorders are genetic or, or biological, whatever. I don't want to get into that, but theoretically, you could be born with some abnormal other mental states yep. uh, or other pre- are, or predisposition yep. for mental behavior in certain ways. Maybe that's exacerbated by your childhood or fully brought on by your, by your childhood experiences, whatever. Um, I can look at people like that and say, okay, look, what you're experiencing is abnormal. It doesn't make you a bad person. You're just experiencing something. Ab- it doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you're, you've got to throw your hands up and say you're forever broken. Um, the, to me, when I look at this, I say, okay, well, the steps to take are, let's dive into your psychology and figure out the best way to deal with this, this so that you can live a happy, productive life yes. um, and be a better person. And I'm not ruling out that for some people, some people may very well feel like they're born in the wrong body. I mean, there's biological reasons why that may actually occur with respect to the amount of testosterone that you get at various times in utero and blah, blah, blah. Like. There are, it's very rare, but there are cases where I would say maybe that's the right thing for you to do. But if you're going to make that decision, to me, that comes after a deep understanding of what the hell is going on. Lots of lots of less invasive and less traumatic and less permanent yes. so- attempted solutions to your that's, issues.
0: And that's what we We did an interview with uh, Buck Angel who I'm a big fan of. And if you guys haven't seen it, you can find that interview on our channel. And, you know, he was saying the same thing. It's like that he, you, it used to be, you had to be an adult, first of all, and you had to go through a lot of therapy and you had to investigate what possible underlying issues it could be that were leading to this thing. That is this condition. That's not normal. Before you get to this as a, uh, Last resort of okay, well then, am I going to try this very radical thing? We're pretending like it's not radical to undergo surgery where you're cutting off people's uh, anatomy. <laughs> you know, where where you're you're uh, castrating someone, or you're taking their, you're cutting off their, you're breasts debilitating their is. entire
2: endocrine system, right?
0: And the people who are pushing this on children. And to be clear that interview with Buck Angel is very interesting. Cause like, like a lot of the people I know who are trans who were trans before it became this cultural thing, um, they oppose, they oppose letting children decide to, to medically in some cases, it, you know, it results in sterilization. They oppose letting kids do this. It's child abuse. And the people who support it, I I've talked recently with people who support, um, uh, medical transition for children. And it's, it's, they don't like it. First of all, they don't like it when you, when you refer to what's happening, they want to call it um, gender affirming care. If you if you say castration, Evil. they get really upset. You don't like the word castration. It's like, but th- if there's nothing wrong with it, our friend Libby Emmons, she was at a conference uh, on a panel I was on recently at the better discourse conference. And she's like, well, if it's what you're saying, if there's nothing wrong with castrating children, why do you have a problem with the word castration? That's what it is. You can't even say it.
2: Because they know, I think they know underneath some part of them knows this is wrong. Yeah. They know that it's wrong. I, I maybe not consciously, but when people, people, this is the evil of euphemism right? And we, and we live in a society, maybe it's always been this way, but it seems like it's hyper this way for the past 15 or 20 years. We have euphemisms for everything and they change even more rapidly than they used to. As soon as the original death, you give a name to something, right? You, but as soon as that name becomes well-known enough, that all of the connotations of the referent, the thing that it is describing, when all of those connotations, including the negative ones catch up and become associated with the euphemism, it's time for a new euphemism, right? Mm, yes. so, so we right. go from castration to sex change surgery to gender reassignment surgery to gender affirming care. Do you notice how at each step it gets gentler? and gentler
4: mm-hmm.
2: and less and less specific and more and more about words that feel nice, right? Mm-hmm. That's they may not be conscious of it, but there but there is an underlying logic to this. And that logic is they know there's something wrong here. And they're yeah, running. They're the running the away from the it. truth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree. They're running away from the truth and they do it with everything. They do it with um what was the the word that Carrie we just it was recent when after um, the Supreme court nominee used it, they changed. Uh,
0: oh, sexual preference. The dictionary preference, changed it. Right. They said sexual preference is now offensive. Why? Because a conservative who we don't like used it. And so right. now it's something bad to say <laughs> yeah. like, well, but I mean that we were using yeah. it last week, but now a conservative used it. I look at your kitty in the he, behind me.
2: Yeah you know i but i can i remember being one of those people who used to be offended by the term sexual preference right so mm-hmm. i i understand the emotion because i experienced the emotion um and and why it upset me was because i perceived and i don't know if this was true i may have simply been filtering all of this right and that the people were not actually saying what i thought they were saying but i thought they were saying you affirmatively chose to be attracted to men and, and, and I said, no, I didn't choose it. I didn't, you know, and it frustrated me because I believed that they were saying, I was like, how can that even be possible? Right. I can't choose what turns me on any more than I can choose the few foods that I absolutely dislike. I can't just tell myself that I like them and then experience liking them. You know, you can't change these subjective preferences easily. But, well, but preference, yeah. the word
1: preference is totally okay there because you could say, you can say, I prefer vanilla ice cream to mint ice cream. That's not True. a choice. It's a preference. Right. So I so think yeah, that's I the why. way that was supposed to be used was sexual preference. What do you prefer? Not what did you consciously make a decision to shun and then choose. It's not sexual choice. It's sexual right. preference. Um, Good point. I, and I... I, I was shocked that that was viewed as like a... Someone saying that is your choice. I had never heard it that just, before. It's interesting. They're constantly
0: that. You, you thought that. Yeah. yeah, they're constantly playing with language, though, and things which were acceptable. Like for example, they will get they they will play on people's emotions and their empathy, and they will they will say um, you must use people's preferred pronouns, and they will explain. And then we've had people in our community. Mom, what do you mean because, preferred? Yes. So once they start saying, okay, first they get people to say, okay, I'm gonna use preferred pronouns and I'm using preferred pronouns. And now that you've done that, then you learn next, well, now saying preferred pronouns is offensive because it's preference and that implies a choice and therefore uh you're being offensive and you just have to say my pronouns. Just my pronouns are. My not declared pronouns. My declared or, but my pronouns. It's 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 because they don't want to
2: say they don't want to say what it really is, which is My compulsory pronouns—the things I demand, (laughs) on pain (laughs) of social consequence—I demand that you speak these words.
0: My titles. No,
1: I like (laughs) compulsory is the right word there. I like my my compulsory pronouns. Yeah.
2: Well, they actually say it. You've seen you've seen some people say it. I mean, some of them get quite aggressive and say, "My pronouns are not optional. They are not preferred. You will use them."
0: And, And and what I love about those people is that. Their child, their children. It's just like you said about the woman at the very, very beginning of all this at the supermarket who doesn't put the cart back. They are living in a fantasy reality online where they like to pretend that they can tell, you they can order this, but you, they can't. I like replying to this. like, You will use my pronouns just with a simple. No, I won't. No, period. No, because <laughs> they, they get so. It's like ah, it's like people saying you will wear a mask when you're. No, No, I don't. I don't. So I know that must keep you awake at night, driving you crazy that you can't control me in that way. Because that's what at the root of it, it's just this control thing. I want to control you, and you're just like, no, well, you can't. So have fun with that tonight. Not only, not only can you (laughs) not,
2: but I'll go a step further. You should not want to control people this way. The fact that you that you subjectively desire this is itself a problem, and that's your problem. For it's you to work sick. on, it's not normal.
0: It's not normal. It's not normal. I. This has been the longest caffeine break we've ever Sorry. done. <laughs> three hours. No, I. I just want to say, can we end on Carter before you got here, and we didn't know if you were going to be still have a bunch of
1: super chats? Do we? I know. More? I mean. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, Lou, okay. let's say thank you and let's uh, read a few choices. <laughs> but I don't know if we can hit all of them. I. I really appreciate you guys have been so fun in the chat, by the way, not just the super chats, but everybody has been poist, po- poisting all kinds of things about moistness. <laughs> 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 Sorry. They've been posting moist things and gr- other gross things. But, um, uh, to, uh, I was really emotional this morning. And speaking of being vulnerable and emotional intimacy and all of that, I, I had this moment. I just, well, first of all, I just, I'm so happy to have you on the show, Josh. And I feel so, my heart,
2: both of you. This, this, this does (laughs) me, this this is such a fun discussion.
0: Yeah. And my heart has so much joy towards you and so much gratitude Mm -hmm. for what you're doing. And, it's, um it's, like it's Carter true. said, you should tr- you should listen to your gut but verify. And I had a great gut feeling with you when I first met you and it has been verified many times. And this is emotional carry, just get used to it. I um I had a really... I will not get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh my gosh, this morning I just had this thing where I'll just say something personally vulnerable. I, we were going to ask Jordan Peterson to come on the show and I don't know if he will or he won't, but I realized, look, there was a while where he was emailing me and he had shared a few of my pieces and stuff a few years ago when I first started on this journey. And uh, a lot of people affected me getting my life back, but he was probably the biggest in terms of helping me, helping me to make changes in my life. So many changes. And I realized I had this block where I couldn't ask him to come on the show because it wasn't that I was afraid that he would say uh, no. I was actually afraid he would say yes. <laughs> and then it okay. would, and then I would just be doing this the whole time. And uh, I was feeling so weird about it. But I finally just put the request out there and uh, I was sobbing afterwards. I was like, what is wrong with me? Why am I being so emotional? I've had this this thing that was like writer's block, but it was asking block and it kept happening for a while. I kept putting it off and putting it off because it was emotionally uncomfortable to ask. And then I realized why, and I just did it. And I had my cry and a friend, one of our uh, community, unsafe space community, Alan said, uh, you know, sometimes your heart is full of gratitude and your heart needs to express gratitude and tears. The only way you can do that. It's like a physical cathartic way of expressing that gratitude. And anyway, I was bursting with gratitude today and I'm very grateful for the show. And I'm very grateful for you, Carter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I put that up as you're saying you're grateful for me. I put that (laughs) comment. (laughs) Uh, YouTube
0: YouTube says Carrie Smith's eyes are moist. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, I love th- you guys. And thank thank you, you, Carrie. Thank you for it's, coming on today, Josh. It, it makes me so happy.
2: <laughs> it makes you feel any better? Um, I was quite emotional this morning too, um, and this is this is uh, this has been great. I've been waiting to meet you too, Carter. I mean, I, I know we don't we don't know each other well, but I've been listening to you guys since early January, and and just um, it's one of those things where I. Like, although it wasn't real, I felt like these are people I can totally see myself just having conversation with. These are, you know, these are just real people. I love listening to these guys, and I was feeling really like this. I had one of those, you know, I, I, my show is new. I want my show to be a success. I actually hope that I can try to make some of my living from it. I'd like to get out of the job I've been doing for a long time, and I just had one of those. I had one of those mornings where I just was like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. We're never going to make any money. And now I've made myself unemployable because I say all these things that I say that anybody can see on YouTube. So nobody, nobody's ever going to hire me again. And blah, 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 I was feeling sorry for myself. But this has been great.
0: <laughs> this is what it's about. its I mean, all that other stuff is gravy. If you can make a living from uh, seeking truth, that's gravy. And, I mean, we want to do the same eventually. But it's about... It's just about the seeking of the truth. That's what it is. And even if we got banned from every platform and weren't able to raise money, (laughs) it's like it's still, it's okay because what you're doing, you have, you're doing something meaningful that gives you purpose and meaning and that's more important. And the, and the being able to, to make a living doing it is gravy, but
2: well, I, except I, when I the bills that, don't get paid.
0: So. Yeah, but you know what? I will like. I know you are a hustler and I, I'm like, I, I do all these gig jobs and I do that so I can say what I want. And even if I have to sell beads on the necklaces on the street, like <laughs> I'll do it. But, you know, it would be nice not to have to do that in addition one day. But like that's 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 so you can say what you, so you can be have that freedom. It's freedom.
2: It anyway, it is. Thank you. I'll
1: say, Josh, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. And you I, I know I need yes. to back and, and talk more. Yes. I feel like I could have a week's long conversation uh, with you like straight uh, because there's I just feel so the same much way. here. Thank
2: you, guys. That's that's um, that's that's really great. I wish you lived closer. I Yeah, <laughs> there are know. a lot of people I wish I wish lived closer because I'm I'm telling you living in in. I moved to Vermont almost 20 years ago to take a job. It's been a very good job, you know, um, but it's time, you know, it's time to think about new things. But I, 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 I really do feel like, I feel like the social outsider in this ex- extremely liberal state now. And I can only imagine what it must feel like living in the Bay area. So, um, <laughs> there's a know.
1: resistance there's, it's like, uh, it's like living in, in, uh, in Warsaw, there's like, we have our little enclaves and we, we, except for in, we don't hide in basements. We just, we text each other, um, but <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: Fully automated luxury ghetto.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I look, I think your show will be wildly successful. And if people have not checked it out, they should because yes. you bring um, an excellent, you bring a unique perspective to this. And I think not only a unique perspective, I think it's probably one of the, the most valuable perspectives Um, Because it's it's one that people aren't looking at. Um, Everyone gets wrapped around politics, and I tend to get wrapped around philosophy because I like philosophy. Uh, But I think uh, understanding the psychology of what's happening is probably the number one most important thing to understand right now. So if anyone hasn't checked out your podcast, please go do uh, Disaffected. We'll
2: put the link in the. Yes. Okay, Um, guys, I gotta go do gig work. Yeah, go do your gig work. Having me and thank you to everybody who's watching and listening. Uh to this I look forward to talking with all of you too.
0: Thank you so much. Right. We'll have, have, you have, you a back, have a man. nice Thanks. day. Right. Carter, right. before we go, I wanted uh-huh. to do this new thing that Chrissy does where she
4: Uh-oh.
0: uh reads he- iTunes reviews. So we it, right. to encourage people if they like the show to leave a review on iTunes because I know some people just listen to the show and reviews do help us and especially if you by the way we never did oh. the plugs at the beginning but if you can support us uh, financially, you can go to unsayspace dot There's a donate button. You can contribute or subscribe at uh, financially at whatever level you choose. Um, if you can't do that, you can always share the podcast, like the podcast, or leave a review. And so here's a review that I want to read. This is from Silly Leslie. She says, "So I'm a lesbian who has a Master of Theological Studies from Duke. I went to Duke too," she says, "and is a believer in God." But in but but in a quantum entanglement sense, more than a religious sense, I applaud Carrie for recognizing both the implications of her faith and that believers are not God. See Romans two. No cheap grace for this gal. I don't agree, <laughs> but I honor her courage to follow the implications of her belief and not equivocate with words. Life is difficult. Thank God. Wow,
1: I thought
0: nice. that was a a great. I, and then, what? I have looked more? at our.
1: I haven't looked at our podcast in a really long time so thank you for I do remember there were comments at some point so this is great yeah. okay
0: and then just uh, one more would be uh, Carter and Carrie are the bee's knees if you're looking for a place if you're looking for a place to chinwag about the big show or the coof hoof on down to this local speakeasy where you will find only the most jake wrong think and wrong laugh among unpersons whether you, you have can't a lot write of your
1: own reviews, Carrie. That's... What? Is... How do
0: you know I wrote this? <laughs> Whether...
3: <laughs>
0: Whether... <laughs> Whether you have a lot of cabbage to spend or are on the nut, you will be welcome here among bear cats, eggs, dames, and cake eaters, as long as you're no blue nose. Nobody's clammed up here. There will be duck soup. How do you <laughs> know I wrote that? <laughs> oh come on. <laughs>
4: thank you kind (laughs)
0: reviewer anyway (laughs) anonymous
4: anonymity
0: okay
1: (laughs) beverly why don't you just take us out of here i mean bye everyone have a good weekend bye
0: i love you carter
4: (laughs) i love you too The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please direct any appeals to our internal review board at dev/null. Please note that Sepaku, while well encouraged, does not guarantee absolution. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it. I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Thank you for participating in our longitudinal study of new and exciting messenger RNA gene therapy techniques. Please make a note of any abnormal growths, loss of vision, difficulty breathing, or death. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news.